Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They get it ahead to Kachuk. He drops it off. They're in. They shoot and a save by Huso. Return shot on goal. Left pad save by the Blues goalie. The puck comes in. Shot on. Save made by Huso. Senators look for a man in front instead of the blue line and a shot blocked. Here's Tierney with a drive. Huso makes the save. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I am Brandon Kylie. It's so good to be back with you guys today. Sorry for the last couple of days. Had to deal with a, a lip issue, I mean, as as all of us have. Who no, has it? You know, who among us? There's no need to apologize. I'm, we did a fantastic job. I thought you did do we a had, fantastic job. I was sitting at home. I got some better uh, painkillers from my doctor yesterday. I'm feeling great today. So it's good to be with you all. We will be with you until He's 2 o'clock. Lucy goosey. Stay safe out there. Roads are uh, expected to get bad by this afternoon, so if you can avoid driving, please do so. You can stay and listen to the dulcet tones of BK and Ferrario. There's no dulcet tones of Ferrario. Okay. Well, just BK and Tanner. What the hell's a dulcet tone? That voice you heard coming back (laughs) was, of course, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. And Alex, I am surprised by this. I got to be honest with you. According to Jim Thomas... Ville Husso was the first goalie oh, yeah. off the ice earlier today. And according to Craig Berube, worry about it and find out when they do the warm-ups before the game tonight. All right, sorry, Craig. Yesterday, I was listening to you guys, and you made the good point that, hey, maybe you go to Jordan Bennington tonight because you sure as heck are not going to him against the Toronto Maple Leafs and that ferocious offense on Saturday. I was listening to Jeremy Rutherford also yesterday with the fast lane. Here's what he had to say about the goalie situation. As inconsistent as he's been, this is a game that if he wants any part of this job back, he has to win that game tomorrow night. Of course, you need the team to play well in front of you, but he's got to have the type of performance that's going to win you a game. And and you know what? If they put him out against Montreal tomorrow night, and for whatever reason he plays a part in the team not winning that game, you know, you got even bigger issues. So to me, you probably go Bennington and then uh, Huso against Toronto. I agreed with that assessment. Tanner... Alex, what would you make of the fact that Ville Husso was the first goalie off the ice today 
and is expected to be the starter tonight against Montreal. I'm very surprised by it because I was under the assumption. I talked about it on post game with curbs Tuesday night. It would make an awful lot of sense for Jordan Bennington to get the opportunity against a team that just traded away their top goal scorer, doesn't have a majority of their top players and has scored the least amount of goals in the National Hockey League that you play a goaltender that has been struggling against them. Made all of the sense in the world. So I was very surprised by it. Now, I was talking with Curbs a little bit ago. He was here uh, walking around the studios and, and, you know, he brought up a conversation that he had with Scotty Bowman in the past. And Scotty Bowman always had the mentality of why would you play your backup goaltender against a bad team where you absolutely need two points? And it makes a lot of sense because, look, the Blues were in a one goal game against the Ottawa Senators Tuesday night. Now, Ville Husso wasn't the star of that game. It was Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. Their line was, but you're playing in a building that's going to have 50% capacity, if I'm not mistaken, because that institutes later on today for Montreal and for the eastern part of Canada. But you're playing against a bad team that knows they're not going to be making the playoffs in an environment that's going to be 50% capacity. There's not going to be a whole lot of energy in that game. So I need two points in the central division. And on top of that, I need a goaltender in case my team's not ready to have the energy to save our butt. So as much as it surprises me that when I was talking with curbs, yeah, it makes a little bit more sense to have Billy Huso in this one. Yeah. It, it was a big surprise to me because I just assumed that we were going to see Jordan Bennington get the start tonight because of kind of gain that confidence. And, and I, I like the point that Curbs made because I was with you when we were in the office talking with him about that. The only thing for me that I think that what I view a little bit differently in that is that Bennington's not your normal backup. Bennington was the number one guy coming into this season. We've talked about it. You got to get Bennington at least right. Maybe not to regain the job, but to at least be a quality backup for you this season. And with the way his confidence is down right now, this feels like the game that should have been the one where you put him in there and give him the look to see if he can regain just some sort of momentum going up against one of the worst teams in the or the worst team in the National Hockey League. Look, I don't mind get throwing Huso in there, but I, I was a little surprised that they didn't try and just get Bennington a kind of a give me start where you put him in net and hopefully this is one of those easy wins for him. And I will say this: if if Huso starting in this game, it really wouldn't surprise me if Bennington starts on Saturday. You got to can't. It's a hockey night in Canada. It's against Toronto hometown can't do it can't do it i can't do that against them you made your choice this is your decision what the blues did by making this choice in my opinion alex is they have told us publicly now villa husos our starter like full stop there is no goalie controversy anymore because jordan bennington's our backup right now now that could change i'm not saying that they've made this decision for the rest of the season it's possible for jordan bennington to regain his job he can become the number one starter again because it, he is the incumbent. He is the guy that came into the season as your your guy, and he's got the contract, right? So we all know eventually Jordan Bennington, he's going to get that job back, whether it's later on this season or next year, whenever that may be. But right now, by going with Ville Husso tonight, you made your decision, man. You can go back on it. You can change it eventually. But for the here and now, what they had is the the split between those two guys at the beginning of the year where it was like 75-25 Jordan Biddington over Ville Husso, that should be the split for the next 
two, three weeks until Jordan Bennington shows you otherwise. This was supposed to be the game, man. JR said it. Jamie River said it. You said it yesterday. I, I've heard Curbs talking about this. Like, everybody seems to agree this was the game that you could target for Jordan Bennington as that get right game. Them not going with him tonight is very telling. Yeah, but the opinion. more you think about it, what are you accomplishing putting him in net against Montreal? You beat Montreal. Confidence, man. Understandable, but you had that possibility against New Jersey, who is also one of the worst teams in the Eastern and Conference. he failed, and that's why they're not going to So you're going to put him in again against Montreal, and if he fails against that team, he's pretty much done for the season. What? When can you play him? If that's going to be the case. Unfortunately, I why? think you're going to try and build the confidence up against, against a team a like that. great offense? I understand it, but in a circumstance like they're in right now, and again, there's a schedule in place that Craig Berube and the coaching staff have. They may need to edit if he's going to get to start Saturday. I, I don't know if it's going to be Saturday. Maybe it's Monday against Philly. That just seems like an awful lot of time in between. Maybe you do go back to Huso against Toronto on Saturday, but you're hockey night in Canada, his hometown. I understand the lot goes into that, but playing them against Montreal, as much as it made sense, I'd be more worried about your team coming out flat in that game. Well, then that tells you a lot about their confidence in Jordan Bennington. Well, yeah, because his confidence is shot. And if he's not going to be able to, to help pick up your team right now, well, then there's no point in playing him in that I guess I just don't know. What, what's the there point should, of starting there, him against Toronto? There then? should be no excuse A little bit more for... energy in a game. It's a Saturday night. You're taking on one of the best teams in the Atlantic Division. You're hoping that the energy sparks for your team, which also sparks for Jordan Bennington. But in my opinion, I get there at 50% capacity for the game tonight in Montreal. If you're and, Jordan Bennington, you can't create your own energy right now, yeah, man. But, like, but not, it's more not so only, the team creating that energy yeah, not, in front of you. Not just Bennington, though, but in my opinion, if the Blues can't get energy going to, hey, we got to get our guy Jordan Bennington to win. We got to come up. We got to show up. We're playing the worst team in the NHL, and we're gonna we're a team that's viewed as cup contenders. If you couldn't get fired up and get ready to go out if Bennington had gotten the start, then I, I'm, I'm with BK. I mean, that just tells you, A, okay, it is, it's odd circumstances. But B, I mean, it just shows a lack of confidence in Jordan Bennington. 100% they have behind it's him. lacking confidence. We talked about that yesterday. I mean, when, when Ville Husso's making that one timely save for you, the team seems to respond, and they're not doing that with Jordan Bennington. Curbs and Joey mentioned it in the broadcast on Tuesday, but it would worry me. And again, I was the one stating that you got to play Bennington against Montreal. But the more I thought about it, it would concern me going into a matchup like this that my team might overestimate or underestimate their opponent. And that could cause even more havoc down the stretch. This might be a smart coaching decision by the staff to not put him in this game. And maybe I'm completely off with this one, but I just I don't know where you go from here with Jordan Bennington. If this is Huso's net right now, I think you need a goaltender to make the saves tonight. At what point are you going to be able to say, well, Jordan Bennington's ready to make those saves for you? When Huso needs an off night, the same way that we looked at it at the beginning of the year. I mean, you look at it, Bennington started the first four games of the season. Then you had one start for Huso. Bennington started the next three games, one start for Huso. Bennington got the next three, one for Huso. That's the way that the split should go right now. So Huso's had the last two starts. Probably give him this one in Montreal, give him the one against Toronto, and maybe you have Jordan Bennington going up against Philly the next night. Like that that's that's the way that I would split it up right now. It's basically three for Huso, one for Bennington, and Bennington plays the role of a backup goalie. The same way Jake Allen did when Jordan Bennington took over. Jake Allen didn't just completely go to the wayside. 
he was still a significant part of that run. He was a guy that made the saves that you needed him to make when he got the starts, but he did so as a legitimate backup goalie. Right now, that's Jordan Bennington's role. The same way that the guys on the team have had to accept lesser roles we saw with Alex Steen. We've seen it this year with Tyler Bozak, who started out the year as a fourth-line player, now is a healthy scratch more often than not. He had to accept that role. I think David Perron has had to accept the fact that he very well may be a third-line player for this team. You look at what Jordan Bennington's going through right now, it's a tough time for him, man. He knows it as much as any, any of us on the outside. He wants to get this corrected, I guarantee you as much as we would like to see him get this corrected. But right now, he's not right. And Ville Husso is, and he's playing like one of the best goalies in the league. So, yeah, for, for right now, Husso's your number one. He should get the consistent starts probably about 70, 75% of the time. And going into tonight, the fact that they're going back to Husso, it was a stunning decision to me. And if he's going to get the start tonight, I think he also gets the start on Saturday against Toronto. And then you go back to Jordan Bennington on Tuesday against Philadelphia in Philly. I think that's the way that you handle this. I, I I don't think that we have to make this more comp- complicated than it is. At least in my mind, that's how I view it. But yeah. I, I just I, I think it. Like I said, the more I look at this, it makes sense not putting him in net here because I would just be concerned that the team comes out flat. And I don't know what you do from there because Philly's also a team that is not making the playoffs. They're a little bit more dangerous of a team there. But so, so who can you play? Bennington well, that's what time. I was just went back and looked at here because, I, you know, I was thinking about like, OK, the games that he's played in, like how many of those have been like games that, you know, the energy is going to be in the building. Calgary. Calgary was absolutely there and the team fell flat Toronto. for him. Toronto. But you'd argue in that game. I mean, he made a couple of saves, but he gave up 60. So I'm, yeah. you're not going to hear it. But Dallas, he was big for them there. That was a Pittsburgh, tough opponent. There was a lot Pittsburgh, of energy there. Winter Classic, a lot of energy. And he wins that game. Edmonton, he wins that game with a lot of energy. So I... I I mean, it's it's 50 50, like most of the games that he started since the since the calendar flipped to 2022 were games that I would say you had a lot of energy in Minnesota. But the Pittsburgh, t- Toronto, Calgary, that's the vast majority of his starts. Yeah. And he hasn't performed well in more than half of them. Yeah, I guess you just look at those two and just the think of the post game reaction to those games. And it was a game where a lot were talking about coaching staff players that they just weren't at the top of their game. And a lot of that confidence resides with Jordan Bennington. At the end of the day, he needs to get a win so that the team can feel a little bit more confident in him. That's where the frustration came in that New Jersey game, because the second period of that devil's game, Bennington made some big time saves and then he fell apart in the third period. So I don't know where you play him. I, I think as much as you disagree, it would make sense to play him on Saturday. I know it's not a ideal opponent for him because Toronto is a really good team. Hockey night in Canada, his hometown. Doesn't Toronto have the same issues, though? Aren't they under a capacity limit right now? I believe so, but yeah, I'm not I think Toronto sure. is as well, but I'm not sure on that one either because, of, of course, I mean, it's Eastern Canada and all of Canada yeah, right now is with that. capacity with Toronto as well, so I don't know why that would be any different than the situation I think it's more the opponent. I think it's more the opponent than it's the situation with the fans in the stand, and, and I... I I don't know where you go from that one. Maybe you hold him off until Philly. That's an awful lot of time before you put him in net. But uh, the more I think about it, it just makes sense to have Villahuso in this one because you know he's going to make the saves for you if your team starts out flat. Final piece to this. If l- let's go down the path and that I'm I'm right here. <laughs> I, oh. I know it doesn't happen often. Let's go down this path. <laughs> but let's say I'm right. You've and been it, down this path before, T-Bone? And Villahuso. Where I'm right? Uh, very, 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 very. T-Bone's right. Let's oh. say that Villahuso is their starter and this is going to continue down the stretch. Is there any comp for this? 
Because the Blues have basically treated the goalie situation as if it's a closer in baseball. Where I remember, I, I don't remember what oh, the exact timeline was. <laughs> but someone compared Bennington to Brett Cecil yesterday, and I had to laugh oh, out loud no. at that one. Oh, no. Like, man, you must really think Bennington's bad this I year. I don't think he games that much. There was like an eight-year stretch <laughs> where the team that won the World Series had a different closer in the playoffs than the guy that started that season as the closer for the team. The Blues are attempting to do that, what, two times in a four-year stretch right now? Three-year stretch? Yeah. Is there any comp for this other than Jordan Bennington, Alex, of what they're trying to accomplish with a postseason run, potentially, with Ville Husso and I don't think so. And we were talking about this in the office. You know, the first one that came to mind was Antti Niemi and Corey Crawford, but those were two separate years. Antti Niemi was the guy, then they let him walk because San Jose gave him an offer sheet, and then Corey Crawford stepped in. The one that comes to mind is Scott Darling with the Chicago Blackhawks when he won them five games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But Corey Crawford then took the net back because Crawford was just struggling there for a while. There is, in my opinion, no comps to this because I know people will text in saying Matt Murray. Matt Murray's not it because Matt Murray was the guy in the playoffs. Marc-Andre Fleury was the guy for them in the regular season. I don't know if we've seen something like this other than Jordan Bennington. But that's the history of the Blues. They've always got a second goaltender who at the start of the season is viewed as the backup. And then midway through, he takes over. Brian Elliott, Carter Hutton, Jake Allen. That just seems to be the mantra of this team. They know how to get goaltenders who can compete with each other. It's just kind of wild. Like the idea that you No, it's the Blues. Wild's in Minnesota. Dad joke up top. Uh, Don't make BK laugh. His lip hurts, man. The idea that you would be in a situation where you can just on the fly, on a whim get the goalie situation right twice by like new year's day essentially is when they would make the switch both times like you are doing something that is almost unprecedented are you thinking witchcraft no and you were able to do this twice in a three-year stretch where nobody else has been able to do this it's just why like i i'm not saying that they're right wrong or indifferent i just it's kind of crazy to think that they could be the team that is able to accomplish this when for 40 years they couldn't get the goalie situation right. It was the one thing that held them back. And now you've got it in a three-year stretch, potentially getting it right twice midseason. It's and, crazy. And not only that, I mean, you mentioned it. They've been doing this two-goalie dance for the last, I don't Since know, Since Yaroslav Halak. Yeah, but what's funny about it is before Bennington, they did the two-goalie dance, and then it usually ended up biting them in the butt in the playoffs at some point. Whether it was the guy that ultimately took over fell kind of apart, and then they had to do, make the switch again, and they just couldn't salvage it. And then Bennington comes along, and Bennington just goes on the run and wins hey, all 16 games needed in the playoffs. Story of my life as a Blues fan. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, I want to get Joey Vitale's thoughts on this goalie situation. What do you do? When, when can you start Jordan Bennington? We'll ask Joey Vitale about that coming up at 11.30. EJ Raddick is a senior reporter for the NHL Network. He's going to join us in the 12 o'clock hour as well. But coming up next, we got to talk a little bit of Cardinals. And I thought yesterday I read one of the best pieces I've ever seen. The lockout's over? From the commissioner, Rick Hummel, over at no. uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. He made me believe Tommy Edmond actually might be a better leadoff hitter than I've been giving him credit for. I'll tell you why next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario 
Allen, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon. Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale joining the show coming up in just about 10 minutes. But Alex, yesterday I thought I read one of the best pieces I've ever seen Thanks, from man. Rick Hummel oh. of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You even write? <laughs> the title of the story is Leading Man. I don't talk to Tommy Edmonds on base percentage could be higher, but he's good in that spot. Oh, and you? I'll be honest, I came into it and I was like, yeah, I don't know, Rick Hummel. I'm, you're going to take some convincing for me to really buy into this. Yeah, because you don't like Tommy Edman. No, that's, that is completely <laughs> untrue. He's, he's giving him a Ben Zobras extension, remember? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I love Tommy Edman. I just think he's got a role to play, and I didn't think that he was necessarily the best option for the leadoff spot. Harrison and then Bader. I read this story. And I got to be honest, I'm not sure that I'm all in on him as your leadoff option. I, I kind of like Tanner's idea of batting Gold, Goldschmidt there. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I did, know. Did you miss it yesterday, BK? I, I heard he's going to like eat pants or something no, on the radio. No, underwear. Okay. I'm not going to. The text I've heard too. better ideas. Rick Hummel wrote this yesterday on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and made me rethink my position. Tommy Edmond had more at-bats than anybody in the league, and he also made the most outs in the league as a leadoff hitter at 488. But in his plate appearances he made as a leadoff hitter, Tommy Edmond reached second base without a, without any help more than 12% of the time. Of the 12 hitters in the league who had at least 260 plate appearances as a leadoff hitter, so qualified hitters lead, batting leadoff, that ranked in the top five, and he just missed out on being number three in the league on reaching second base without help. Among other leadoff men in the National League, Jonathan India, the rookie of the year, was right at that exact same percentage of reaching second base during a plate appearance. And Mookie Betts was also at the same rate as Tommy Edmond was a year ago. Guys, I think this is a blind spot for advanced analytics. And you know, I love, I love the numbers. I'm the guy that will come on here and preach the expected numbers and all of that nonsense that people think is goobity goop. Goobity goop. Is that a number? This is interesting to me. Because I do think that we have reached a place where the advanced numbers really struggle to quantify the importance of a stolen base. And I think that you are going to see even more of it this year with Skip Schumacher on the bench. I think you're going to see Tommy Edmond get even more aggressive this year than he was last year on the base paths. That's saying something because he had 30 stolen bases. Absolutely. He was second in the league in stolen bases a year ago. Him being right up there at getting to second base without help from the guy behind him, the the same rate as Mookie Betts and Jonathan India. So they're getting on second base a lot of the times because of either stolen bases or just hitting a double batting leadoff. And more often than not, Edmund, same thing. I, I do think there is obvious value in that. And I don't think there's a great way for people to quantify how much importance there is on a stolen base, especially in a league right now where we have never seen fewer stolen bases. So Tommy Edmond actually bringing that to the table obviously helps you. Does this change at all, Alex? And I know you were already on the Tommy Edmond bandwagon as, as a leadoff hitter. Does it change at all or push you even more in that direction of Edmund being a leadoff hitter after reading this from Rick Hummel? Well, absolutely it changes because I just heard you say Tommy Edmond's just as good as Jonathan India and Mookie Betts. Did I under did I not understand advanced analytics correctly? Nah, you were close. What was his goobity goo? Close enough. <laughs> uh, no, th- this this keeps me on board with Tommy Edmond. I-, I think I would like to see a little bit more consistency, which is I think everybody's gripe with him as the leadoff hitter. But what I saw last season is a guy who can be dangerous for you as the first hitter in the start of the game and then throughout the game. I think Tommy Edmond, his speed, his ability to showcase power every once in a while with those doubles and just his on-base knowledge of when to steal, when not to steal, 
it all screams leadoff hitter. And I talked about this with T-Bone yesterday, BK, and it, it's it's possibly on me for looking at this as the old school way because I know Ali Marmol is all about versatility and putting different guys in different positions to succeed. But I think of a leadoff hitter and I think of consistency and I think of the guy that's going to be there every single day. And for me, Tommy Edmond makes the most sense. If Harrison Bader could get right, he also makes sense. But I want a guy who's fast, a guy who can get doubles, and a guy who can score runs early on my leadoff spot. And that's Tommy Edmond for me. So do the splits need to be better? Absolutely. Consistency? Absolutely. But hearing those numbers in terms of not needing help to get to second base and beyond, that screams more success for Tommy Edmond. You know what I would like to see is a new statistic. I would like, instead of just there being a slugging percentage for a player, you know how normally there's batting average, on-base, slugging percentage, OPS. Those are the four that we've kind of come to know as like the, the numbers that are always on the table. Those are the three, the slash line. I want there to be a fifth one. I want there to be batting average, on-base, slugging percentage, and then slug plus stolen base percentage. Oh, good God. I mean, this would help guys like Tommy Edmond, the guys that you loved, Alex. This would help them be more valued by people around the game. But it hurts me. I don't understand it won't, it. though, because it's simple. It's how often do you get to second base without needing help from the guy behind you? Like that, that That's all it is. And so uh, when we don't help, when we don't have that right now for a guy like Tommy Edmond, I think it hurts his value in the eyes of a lot of fans, including myself. I, I'm, I'm counting myself into that category. This made me rethink my position on Edmund. I still don't think he should be batting leadoff against right-handed pitching because his slugging percentage is just so low against those guys. He should probably be your eight or nine hole hitter against righties. And that's fine. Basically your secondary leadoff guy, right? Against left-handed pitchers, though, where he had a 485 slugging percentage last year, yes, the on-base percentage is still low, but the slugging percentage plus his ability to steal bases... I think you can make a really strong case that he's still your best option batting leadoff this upcoming season against lefties. Does the fact that he's a switch hitter too make that even more of a no, reason? No, because why? he's not good against right-handed pitching. That's yeah. the thing is he's His basically numbers, a right-handed yeah. hitter. But if he could give, I mean, I mean, we're talking what third year in the league, second full time. I mean, if he could improve in that area, which we're seeing Tyler O'Neill improve in certain areas as he continues to grow as a major leaguer, Harrison Bader as well. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, if the fact that he gets there, better that. Yeah, but that would be a change in our in our information. If there's a change in information, I'll change my opinion. Same thing with Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader started hitting better. And so as a result of that, I, I've changed my opinion on him being a leadoff option as well. I think Bader is an option to bat leadoff against lefties. But if you see the same numbers for Edmund next year against lefties as we saw last year, I don't think you need to put Bader up there. I think you can just keep keep with Tommy Edmund. Yeah, and that's how I view it as well. And I think it is a great point because you mentioned you know the stolen bases. He had 30 stolen bases. He only got caught five times last year. So, I mean, that's a pretty good number right there, 30 to 35. And if the number's only going to go up with Skip Schumacher, who likes to run, if he becomes a 40 stolen base guy, let's say, I mean, you got Goldie right behind him is what the Cardinals would probably do. You're going to hit the middle of the order, and you're already going to have a guy in running runner runner in scoring position by the time Paul Goldschmidt comes up to the plate, and Paul Goldschmidt doesn't have to waste a out by moving him over to second base by that need. So I think that is a valuable piece to have. I still like the idea of having Goldie hit leadoff, especially, and rather have Tommy Evan be that kind of quote-unquote second leadoff guy because then it still has the same effect. He's just hitting ninth in the lineup and probably gets one less at bat. But that's just the way I view it because I view it as having your top four hitters in the top of the lineup. That's the way baseball has gone. And your top four guys are clearly Goldie, Carlson, O'Neal, and uh, Arnato. So well, to me, it's Carlson or Goldie are probably my two favorites for leadoff. But it does make me reevaluate how we look at Tommy Evan. And, and that's why I would now say probably hit him ninth 
compared to heading into the year, I was probably thinking like seventh. At seventh, he probably has like zero value because he's going to have an eighth guy behind him, ninth guy behind him that you probably don't trust. But Tommy Evan has that quote-unquote second leadoff, or if you had to lead him off in some games, makes plenty of sense because he's able to get a second base so often. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Again, that entire piece over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website, stltoday.com. Really good piece by Rick Hummel that made me think at least can reconsider my opinion on Tommy Edmond as a leadoff hitter. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network, joins us. I want to ask him his thoughts on Ville Husso potentially getting the start tonight for the Blues. When do you go back to Jordan Bennington? Joey joins us to explain next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for your questions. Also, EJ Raddick, a little bit of a switcheroo. He's going to be coming up at noon. Had to move from his 1230 Omaha. time. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line as we do each and every Thursday to be joined by our friend Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for the Blues Radio Network. Joey, what's Joey, going on, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. <sighs> What's up, boys? Having a good, having a good week. Having a great week. How you guys doing, Joey? How do you feel about starting tonight from T Bone Sports Center update? I talk frequently about. Hey, say that one more time. You kind of broke up. I said I don't know if you heard T Bone's uh, Sports Center update. How do you feel about starting in net tonight for the Blues? Hey, Billy Huso, is that what he said? No, you. Oh, is it me? Oh, yeah, he said flip flop. He got crisscross applesauce on me. I don't want to start. No thanks. So I'll leave it to Billy. He's doing fine. How do you feel about that, Joey? I was a little surprised, to be honest with you. I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to go back to Jordan Bennington, and I'm not questioning the decision. I was just surprised by it. What do you think about them going to Ville Husso tonight in Montreal? I think it's the right call. I do. I think I think it's his, I think it's his to lose now. I think that you look at the schedule, you know, BK, this is a pretty favorable schedule for one goalie. You know, you got Montreal Canadiens tonight. Then you got another day off before you face the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then, and then you come home for a quick one versus Buffalo before you head back out to the road where you're going to play, you know, Chicago and then a couple of days off and play the Rangers and a couple more days off and then the Islanders. I mean, I think the only back-to-back really in the near future is that New York Islanders and New Jersey Devils back-to-back, which doesn't happen for another count two and a half weeks there at the tail end of that East Coast trip. So is it possible that we see Billy Huso every game up until that back-to-back? I, I think so. I mean, if he keeps winning – and he keeps playing well, and the team keeps playing well in front of him, to me, there's no reason at this point you take him out anytime before, let's just say, the next, I think, seven games uh, before that first back-to-back versus the Islanders and the Devils. Now, again, a lot, a lot's going to happen that meantime, and he will have a bad period or two or maybe one bad game where you do get Bennington in. But if he keeps rolling, and his numbers show that, where he's the tops of the league and the goals against and the, and the save percentage, but more importantly, the team's playing this well in front of him, at this point in the season, you just cannot deny him. You really can't. I mean, look at the standings. We keep talking so much about it, but it is super tight. I mean, yeah, the Blues are sitting in third right now, but, but they're a point away from being right back in the wild card spot with Dallas playing well, Anaheim, Brandon, Nipper on the heels too for that wild card as well. Uh, Winnipeg won again the other night. 
So it's just you, you can't have too many points. And right now at this point in the season with how tight this, this central division is, I think for Craig Berube, it's all about one thing right now, and that's wins. Joey, what happens if Huso doesn't have that bad period or two? And I know it's inevitable. Like, goalies go through bad droughts at some point, which is why you need your backup. But if he doesn't have that bad period, where do you play Jordan Bennington? Is it just when there's back-to-backs or Huso needs relief? I think so. I think you have to at this point. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, it's, it's, it'd be one thing if, you know, let's say Bennington had a bad game versus the New Jersey Devils. But I think this is something that's kind of kind of – you know, poked its head out quite a bit, especially over the last few months. I think this is something where, where Bennington has maybe not quite been himself, at least the Bennington we all know. You know, and I think that I think he needs uh, just a bit of a reset and take some pressure off. You know, I think the last thing that any Blues fan wants, and certainly Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube want, is, is to happen what happened to Matt Murray. But it can happen. Guys, this, this happens quite often where you have a goalie that will have two, three really stellar years. Matt Murray, for example, had the back-to-back cups in his rookie seasons at in Pittsburgh. Um, an okay third year there, and then before you know, it, he got shipped off because he just couldn't. He couldn't keep the puck out of the net. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be Jordan Bennington, but keep in mind these, these goalies are human, and they go in funks, and they go through ups, and they go through downs. Now, the difference in the Matt Murray situation and now the Jordan Bennington situation is that Matt Murray really didn't have a lot of uh, great backup. You know, he had a couple guys kind of sporadic in and out. Uh, but there wasn't a steady guy that could put Murray on the shelf for a little while and just let himself get reset. But now it's a little bit different. Now you got Bennington, who's got a great reliever in Billy Uso. So I think you officially have to just let him take a step back and just officially get an absolute recess, uh, a reset rather, where you're not going to be coming in unless it's a situation where, where you need relief, where your starter in Billy has been bad, or you have a backup situation where Billy um, has not been performing um, to the degree he needs to or he's getting too much work. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's what's going to happen, Alex. And I think that you take it even a step further from there. What happens if Billy Huso keeps playing the way he's playing? I mean, what are you going to do with his contract? What are you going to do with this guy for the future? I mean, that, that's all major questions. I don't think Doug Armstrong had the answer back in October when Billy Huso signed just a one-year, one-way deal. I think you thought of him as a guy that would come in and play 15, 16 games, hopefully get a winning record, and you're off and sailing to the sunset with Bennington and you make it to the playoffs. But with him playing so good and now demanding more games, and his numbers is incredible. Um, my thing is, um, when is Doug Armstrong um, going to make uh, some noise as far as maybe extending him? I'm sure talks have already been been had, you know. But w- what do you do there? I'm sure Doug Armstrong would come at him with a lower number because it's it's safe money, it's easy money, and it's he can stay here. But if you're Billy, uh, do you wait? Uh, do you become a free agent at the end of this season? So all the timing of what you're going to do with Billy Huso's contract and if he continues to play this way, that to me is going to be um, a big question mark moving forward, especially over the next few weeks as we head to the trade deadline. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call against the Canadians tonight. Pre-game with Alex begins at 5 o'clock. We've got the puck drop coming up at 6 Joey, the big news story yesterday was a, a, another surprise and that apparently Claude Giroux is looking at three central teams as his uh, best case scenario. And he has a full no trade clause. So he basically gets to determine where he's going if he ends up getting traded at the deadline. And it sounds like all uh, signs are pointing towards that. What do you think about Claude Giroux as a potential addition for the Blues? And d- do I have this right? You played against Giroux when, when you were in the, the Eastern Conference with the Penguins? Yeah, I played against him quite a bit. Uh, I, you know, the one thing that really stood out about his game, you know, with Borchek and even Braden Shen, 
was that he he's lethal in the power play. I mean, that, that is something he still is. He's extremely creative, uh, almost a master to some degree, where he's done it so much, where he's actually created plays uh, that, that not once were always there, people even thought of. I'll give you an example. Him and Voracek would be on the wings in the power play. We saw this last year, where they purposely shot it behind the net in Philly, where they have very lively boards. It was a purposeful shot wide off the yellow dash, and they timed it perfectly right to the other flanker over a one-timer, and it actually went in and worked. So he's a creative mind, uh, a very confident player. You've seen his breakaway moves. You've seen his shootout moves. The things he does with the puck uh, only can be done by players that are overconfident and are very, very, very just self-aware of what they are. And that's exactly what, what I think of when I think of Claude Giroux. You know, is he right for this Blues team? I personally don't think so. I think that they're very deep down the middle. Claude Giroux has played his best hockey down to the middle. Um, I, I don't think the Blues are in need of a centerman, especially because uh, we're seeing Braden Shen on the wing, but he can obviously sub in the center at any point, uh, as we know. Now, now the intriguing thing is, and the thing to really keep an eye on, is that when I was playing against Giroux, uh, Craig Berube was the assistant coach in Philly. And Craig Berube, I think, has nothing but great things to say about Claude and everything about his game, his competitive nature, and the kind of that that kind of like rusty, rigid style of, of play that he, he can bring to the game. Uh, not to mention Braden Shen, good friends with him as well. So a lot of great ties uh, that would be intriguing to Claude Giroux, but at the end of the day, he's going to want to go somewhere since he's got the final say of a place that, that can win a cup. And I think that over the next few weeks, that is really going to start emerging more and more. Can the Blues come off this road trip? And all these Eastern Conference teams that are kind of towards the bottom of the standings, can they start making some hay? Can they start nipping at the heels of the Colorado Avalanche and Minnesota Wild where they can be that kind of one-two uh, heading into the trade deadline? Because that's going to make it way more sexy for a player like Claude Giroux for the St. Louis Blues. I've heard rumors that he's obviously excited about Colorado. I'm not sure exactly how that works. <laughs> but but, but w- regardless of all that, guys, um, I think any team can work. And, and I'll kind of pivot to a new direction and – um, not that this really answers your question, BK, but uh, for teams that don't think they can make it work financially, I think it's becoming more well-known and more acceptable and, um, quite frankly, just common sense to use this LTIR situation the way Tampa Bay did last year with Kucherov, where for the fans out there, if, if you've got a player that's on long-term IR, uh, once playoffs start, that player can come off and obviously doesn't hurt against your cap. Uh, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning, I want to say they were like close to $20 million, I mean, possibly over the cap. Last year when they won the Cup, a lot of players didn't like it. A lot of fans don't like it. But it's completely within the rules. It is something that any team can utilize. Any team can go after and make it a part of their team. So that's what's intriguing about a player like like Claude Giroux, for example, where if he has his contract and teams can't afford him, well, they can kind of maneuver things and kind of shift things around where now they can actually grab a player like that, put one of their own players on long-term IR. We just saw it there with Mark Stone in Las Vegas. I know a lot of fans are kind of up in arms about it, and the league is up in arms about it. Las Vegas is cheating. It's not cheating. It's actually perfectly within the rules, and until the rules change, it could stay that way. Um, so I fully expect Vegas to do what, what Tampa did and have Mark Stone jump off long-term IR when playoffs start, and now they got Mark Stone, you got Eichel, you got Petrangelo, you got some of the highest-paid players all on the same team, all within the rules that can make a big dent in the playoffs. So it's one of those cool little stories that, um, whether you're a fan of it or not, it's something that you certainly have to keep in mind from, from the Blues standpoint and every contender standpoint because every every team, in my opinion, should start using this rule more often. Joe, we've got like 30 seconds here, but just a quick uh, quick one on this: Justin Braun, yay or nay on a potential addition for the Blues at the back, uh, the blue line? 
I like Justin Braun. I played against him in college. He went to the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, uh, along with John Quick. Uh, a big body, moves the puck very well. Um, you know, to me, he's kind of like a Dylan player. He, he's kind of that, that Bortuzzo, uh, nothing, no disrespect to Bortuzzo, but that kind of that vanilla six, seventh defenseman, moved the puck pretty well. In my opinion, kind of a dime a dozen, so I would move on from him. I, I'm more intrigued, again, by players like Chickren, obviously, and Shabbat, who we're going to be seeing here um, tonight in, in Montreal. So those are the, those are the kind of types of players that I think the Blues would benefit most from. But certainly certainly a great, a great player, and it could be a, a minor upgrade. Although not a great upgrade, uh, definitely a minor upgrade. He's Joey Vitale. He didn't agree with my take on Justin Braun, but we like him nonetheless. Joey, appreciate the time as always, my man. Thank you, boys. You guys have a great week now. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call. Blues versus Canadians tonight. Pre-game with Alex. An early one for you at 5 o'clock. We've got the puck drop coming up at 6 o'clock. What do you think about his take on uh, Claude Giroux? Uh, I mean, I'm with him. He's a face-off machine, good on the power play. Uh, I would disagree with Joe on the on the sense of I don't know how he fits in here. I think he could fit, although, of course, I mean, they're they're deep at forward. And we'll talk about this at the 12 o'clock hour. Um, but yesterday I was like, man, it doesn't make any sense. Now I'm more sold on Claude Giroux for this team. And I will say this, the LTIR situation, what he mentioned there, very intriguing because if you missed it from practice earlier today, Marco Scandella, who's got a lower body injury, he went on the trip. He skated today. Craig Bruby said afterwards it didn't go well. Could the Blues put him on LTIR and open mm. up that $3 million in cap space? I mean, everyone else is doing it. Why Do not I the hear Blues? a little tinfoil Ferrario potentially uh, uh, coming into the mix? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be talking to EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network. We'll get his thoughts. He's based in the Northeast. What's he think about Claude Giroux's future? We'll ask EJ about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll have EJ Raddick of the NHL Network coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. 65780, though, is the Air Comfort Service text line for your questions. We will try to have some answers from the 314. Hey, guys, would acquiring a high-priced defenseman affect the Kachuk acquisition potential? I guess it depends if there's term on it. Well, yeah, if you're getting a Jacob Chikrin, then probably because you're going to have to figure out how to maneuver that into the contract. Although, I mean, you don't know what's reasonably priced, though, right? Yeah, but you're adding four. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd still have to move on from you'd have to do what you'd have to do to get Kachuk anyway. So I don't think it affects it on that sense. Now, if you're thinking of trading for Kachuk, absolutely it will, because if you get a high priced defenseman, all those trade pieces are gone. That's a good point. But I don't think you're trading for Kachuk. I think if he's going to be here, he's going to be signed as a free agent. So I don't think it really affects him. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. I don't know if it has much of an effect unless it is that trade route, because then you're basically giving up maybe not all of your assets, but a good chunk of them to go get that defenseman. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. I like this question from the 314. It's something we were planning to talk about later on today. Guys, did you see Dom's article today breaking down how bad Ben Sherrod has been? Kind of alarming. We did. Um, Alex, I'll just read a, a little bit of this. 
Um, Dom from The Athletic, our, our good buddy, Dom. Uh, I think guy. we can call him that. Your good buddy. On a terrible team, both Sherratt and Shea Weber have somehow been below the team's average in their defense numbers. For teams hoping for his, quote, defensive prowess, no Canadian's def- defenseman gives up more chances than Ben Sherratt's expected goals against per 60 minutes. Uh, he said only Keith Yandel has been worse so far this year in terms of his adjusted stats. It ain't good with what Sherrod has done so far this year for the Canadians. Anybody that trades for him, Alex, I would assume is of the belief that that is because of the situation that he's in playing for a losing team, not on a contender, no fans in the stands. Maybe that plays into it. I don't know if I'm willing to risk what it would take to get him in order to get that player and counting on a turnaround when he gets into a new situation. I would rather honestly at this point, have Zidane Ochara than Ben Sherat. When you take into account the cost that it will take to get them, the actual monetary amount that they are expecting, and the fact that, frankly, Zidane Ochara has been better this year, straight up, I would rather have Chara. Yeah, I've been out on Ben Sherat from the moment that he was rumored to be connected with the Blues because he's just not a top defenseman. I think he is a product of his environment. I think you have to have a really good defenseman with him for him to succeed, i.e. what Dom mentioned with Shea Weber in Montreal. Um, uh, to me, I think Mikola's more of a upgrade than Ben Sherratt would be. So if I'm going to, and I'm not trading a first round pick for a guy who's here for half of a season and really should probably be playing on your third pairing. And by the way, I think you mentioned in an article, but he's, he's a penalty risk. I think, I think in terms, I think I read somewhere he's 44% more than average of taking penalties. And that means you're going to be on the penalty kill a lot. And we guess what? We got a what? good PK. It's fine. No, nope, not that good when you're on the penalty kill so much. And by the way, you don't want to be on the penalty kill a lot when you're taking on the Colorado Avalanche. Only, so, only three defenders this year have a worse rate of taking penalties yeah. than Ben Chirot. So, so no, it, I'm out on them. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. There's a lot of news over the last couple of days about quarterback movement. We'll get into some of that coming up at 1215. But coming up next, EJ Raddix, a senior reporter for the NHL Network. Let's ask him about some of the latest when it comes to the trade deadline, including the latest rumor for the Blues. Are they really going to get in on the top forward on the market? I thought we were talking about defensemen. We'll talk to EJ Raddick about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by one of our friends on the show. I think we can call him that at this point. He's a senior reporter for the NHL Network and you can watch him on NHL Now weekdays at three o'clock over on the NHL Network. He is EJ Raddick joining us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. EJ, we always appreciate the time, my man. How you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you guys today? I hope that I hope this weather in St. Louis is okay. I heard it's got a little bit of a winter storm coming through. Yeah, it's starting to get a little uh, dicey out there, but we're hoping that the roads stay okay, all things considered. Yeah. EJ, one of the big questions that I wanted to ask you about was uh, in relation to this trade deadline that's coming up, and there's been some rumors over the last couple of days that, hey, maybe Claude Giroux is a guy that would be interested in coming to St. Louis What'd you make of that when you first heard the possibility? And do you think Giroux would be a good fit here in St. Louis? Well, Claude Giroux is a terrific player, and he's got an expiring contract. And uh, I think that 
He's one of these guys that could probably help a lot of different teams. He's someone that you could probably move around your lineup. He can play center. He can play on the wing. Um, but you know what? I mean, I think obviously St. Louis has got a good team, and there's been some reports of the teams he would be interested in going to. Obviously, you want to go to good teams. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, when I look at the Blues, I think the need for addition is more on the back end, is more on the blue line. Like, I like the group of forwards they have with the St. Louis Blues. I think they have a number of really good ones. Now, does that mean if they could add Claude Giroux, that would be, you know, a bad thing? No, he's a really good player, and he gives you another option, uh, you know, moving forward. But I think when I look at the St. Louis Blues, I mean, the, the one area I'd say, hey, this is where I'd like to improve their group is on the blue line, and you know, there's only so many things you can do in a salary cap world. So that would be my focus, but Lozier is a terrific player, and he's going to help wherever he goes to. EJ, we all know Doug Armstrong. He's an aggressive man, and when he sees something, he goes after it, i.e., you know, guys like Jay Bomeister, Ryan Miller during his tenure with St. Louis. Could you see a scenario where Doug Armstrong looks at it and says, look, we could find a way to get Claude Giroux and on top of it, find somewhere to upgrade on the defensive side. Maybe a guy like Zdeno Chara, a cheaper defenseman rather than the expensive ones. Yeah, I, like Chara to me, like, I mean, he's an, an older player now, obviously, right? He's into his into his mid-40s and he's had a wonderful career and he's likely going to be a Hall of Famer, but you know, does he really, is he really an upgrade for you? And that's the question you have to ask. I mean, in Washington last year, uh, you know, he's just not the same player that he once was. And, you know, the Islanders have had some struggles this year. And so, I, I mean, I, I guess that's a question for the scouts of the St. Louis Blues and for Doug and looking at Zidano and does it make sense for them? Could he provide uh, an upgrade for them? Is he better on a, on a, day-to-day basis than what they already have there and uh you know what is the acquisition cost there probably isn't that high at this point but uh you know there's a lot of defensemen on the market there is a lot of sellers right now and uh you know i'm sure that doug and his scouts are are looking closely at all the different options so yeah i you know to answer your question yeah i mean if doug can add Giroux and add a defenseman i think he would probably try to do it you're absolutely right he is an aggressive manager he's been doing it a long time he's been part of obviously he brought a stanley cup championship to st louis he was part of a of a management group that won uh, the cup in dallas many years ago so uh you know he's an experienced guy that's trying to give this team the the best chance to win right now ej is there a defenseman that jumps out to you that makes the most sense for the blues to upgrade on their back end you know the the guy that i like a lot is ben Sherratt. now some people will say, well, he's not having a very good year. Well, nobody in Montreal is having a very good year right now. But he's a big, strong, beefy guy. He's at, uh, you know, he's got an expiring contract, so there's no concern moving forward. And I think, you know, when I look at the St. Louis Blues now as compared to where they were in 2019 when they won the Stanley Cup, I just don't think they're as big and, and long and hard hard to play against as a group of six than they were then with the Petrangelos and the Edmondsons and, and you know, those in, and Bullmeister, bigger, longer, lankier guys that were hard to deal with. So, you know, for me, you'd have to, again, be watching Sherrod. He's a little digged up right now. You'd have to be watching him closely and, and kind of determine, okay, is he really, has his play really fallen off that much? Or is it just a product of being in a really bad situation in Montreal this year? I mean, only... 
you know, less than a calendar year ago, he was part of a group of four defensemen that helped the Montreal Canadiens get to the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, he's one guy, I think, for a number of teams that I look at just because, as we've seen, and as you've seen in St. Louis, in the playoffs, those bigger, lankier, tougher defensemen are guys that can really help you in a seven-game series where it's kind of a tooth-and-nail battle to the end. EJ Raddick is our guest here on 101 ESP, and you can watch him on NHL Now weekdays at 3 o'clock on NHL Network. You can do that later on this afternoon. EJ, I did want to ask you about the Blues goalie situation because we've, as you can probably imagine, talked about it a whole lot this year. It's been a rough go for Jordan Bennington, and the Blues are expected to go back to Ville Husso once again tonight. Locally, I think all of us expected that they, this would be the opportunity for Bennington to get right, and they're going to go back to Husso instead. Can you remember a situation other than Bennington, of course, a couple of years ago here in St. Louis, if the Blues end up sticking with Husso, and let's go down this hypothetical fantasy land where they do end up winning the Cup again, can you go look to another scenario in the past that was a similar situation with a backup goalie who ended up doing this down the stretch? Well, I mean, I think if I really had time to think about it, I probably could come up with some scenarios. But the one that comes to mind immediately to me was with Yaro Halak and Carey Price in Montreal back, I believe it was in 2010, when Montreal went on a run to the Eastern Final. And Yaro Halak backstopped them with wins over the highly favored Penguins and Capitals in back-to-back series. I think it was the Caps and then the Pens. And uh, Yara Halak was the guy, and Carey Price was on the bench. And in the end, the Montreal Canadiens had to make a decision going forward, and they chose to go with Carey Price. And, and you know, they eventually moved Yaroslav Halak out. He ended up in St. Louis, as you guys know. So, um, you know, I think that's one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, the game has changed, certainly in the years that I've been following it, but even – even in more recent years. And, you know, it, I, I did reach out and talk to Doug Armstrong just a couple of days ago for that very reason about the goaltending because it's something we've discussed a lot, even nationally, uh, as we've watched from afar with Bennington, who was such a great story in 2019 and is now, you know, on a long-term contract. And, and he is struggling. And Huso, you know, the interesting part is you guys probably know the story. Huso was really the next man up at the time that Bennington got his opportunity, but Husso was injured. And Bennington came in and just took the net by storm and uh, led the Blues all the way to the end. So it's a winning business. Uh, there's been some ups and downs for Bennington since then. I can remember in the bubble there was uh, you know him and Jake Allen, and there was who was starting in that series when they eventually ended up losing, I believe it was to the Vancouver Canucks. So um, when you look at the goalies around the league – there's very few, maybe only one, in terms of uh, you know Vasilevsky in Tampa, that has been consistently good night after night with a larger body of work. Shesterkin in New York has been excellent, but it's still a shorter body of work. Um, so I guess the good news is for Blues fans, Huso's playing great right now. He's the guy that uh, is getting the opportunity. Bennington could be doing the work behind the scenes with his goalie coach and trying to find his game. There will be opportunities for Bennington. And the Blues are in a good spot because I think you need two goalies in this league now, especially with the schedule being what it is, with kind of condensed and with the makeup games. And you're going to be running into schedules where you play a lot of games in a short period of time. So 
I guess the way to look at it is it's good news right now, and Huso's going to keep playing as long as he's playing the way he is, and I think at some point Bennington will get an opportunity, and we'll see if he can get his game back together. EJ, a couple more questions that I had for you. Uh, we heard Ottawa Senators head coach DJ Smith the other night uh, mention about the depth of this Blues forward core, and you know, you talk about the Blues forwards and how influential they were when they won the Cup of the 2018-2019 season. But can you remember a team that's been this deep like the Blues have? Because DJ Smith said he doesn't know if he's seen a team yet this year that's deeper than the Blues offense. He he might well be right. I remember making that similar comment early in the season when the Blues got off to a good start. And I was like, wow, they are really loaded because, you know, Cairo took another step forward. I've always been a fan of Robert Thomas. Uh, Tarasenko, we didn't know where he was going to be. He's come back and he's been terrific for them. So they've got a number of, uh, you know, when everybody's healthy there, they've got a number of valuable forwards. It's really a position, I think, of great strength, and that's why when you ask me about Giroux, is like I just I don't know if there's a need there. I'd rather spend my assets on trying to bring in, you know, some help on defense to really fortify that group. But uh, I, I agree. I mean, I think the, the Blues group of forwards – you know, 1 through 12 and beyond. I mean, they've got a really deep group there. EJ, final one for you. I was watching that Colorado Avalanche-Vegas game last night. It's pretty obvious Colorado is a very good team, but when you look at the Central Division, how would you rank those overall teams in terms of Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis? Is St. Louis better than what people are giving them credit for in terms of the Central? I, I think they are, but here's the thing that I will tell you, and I think this is bodes well for the Blues, and you know we'll see how it plays out. I think the the Blues, to me, have matched up very well against Minnesota, and they have for a while now. And even though Minnesota's been really good this year, they have a little bit of a different group there, and they've been really impressive. Go back to the Winter Classic. Now, I know the Wilds had a few guys out, but like when these teams have played over the last couple of years, the St. Louis Blues have really had the number of the Minnesota Wild. So things can change. But if you look at it right now, Colorado likely wins the division. Let's say Minnesota finishes second, St. Louis finishes third. Now you're in that first-round series. If I'm the St. Louis Blues, I feel good about that matchup. I know Minnesota's been playing well, but I feel like I, I think if I'm, a, if I'm the Blues, I feel like, hey, this is a good matchup for us as long as we're healthy. I think we can go in there and, and, and get things done against Minnesota. So, you know, I think matchups and injuries are what I always talk about in the postseason, and we'll see how it plays out between now and uh, the start of the playoffs. But all things being equal, everybody healthy, I think it would be a hell of a first-round series, but I would favor the Blues just because I think that matchup, for whatever reason, has favored the Blues in the, in the more recent years. He's EJ Raddick. You can watch him on NHL Now weekdays at 3 o'clock on the NHL Network. We always enjoy being able to spend a little bit of time with him here on BK and Ferrario. EJ, all the best to you and yours. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks, EJ. That's EJ Raddick joining us here on 101 ESPN. At this point, Alex, there are so many good teams in the Western Conference. To his point there at the end. I don't even know if it matters who you play in the first round. No, because you like, got you to get out of a gauntlet west no matter what. It's going to be a really tough road. Whoever gets out of the Western Conference this year, man, is going to earn it. 
because with Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville's not going to be an easy out. Calgary, uh, Vegas, even Edmonton, I know they've had their ups and downs this year, but you look at that team, the amount of firepower that they have, they're not going to be an easy out either. It is going to be a really difficult path. It always is, but this year in particular, to be able to make it to the Stanley Cup out of this Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect scenario, I'd rather see Colorado in the second round because I can get some confidence from a first-round series win, kind of like what they had against the Winnipeg Jets when they won the Cup. Um, But with that being said, I would welcome an opportunity to play Colorado in the first round. One, because of recency, where you played them last year, and two, take down the big dog first. You do that, then it seems like it would be an easy sail the rest of the way to a Stanley Cup final. It's also interesting to me, to Doug Armstrong's point, when we talked to him, what, two weeks ago now? Um, you look at some of the teams that you're potentially matching up against, it's it's kind of reverted back to being a heavy Western Conference. Minnesota plays that style. Calgary, Vegas will play that style with you. Nashville, L- like you're looking around the league and suddenly instead of being super hyper-focused on speed and transition game, there is still a lot of that, especially with Colorado. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of heaviness uh, coming out of the Western Conference this year. Yeah, see, and that's why I feel like the Blues actually would have an advantage in a series against Minnesota, and EJ mentioned it. I mean, the Blues have had their way with Minnesota. It's a different team now than what they've had in the last couple of years, but I think Minnesota playing that physical style is works to the advantage of the Blues because they can match that, but the Blues have speed through the neutral zone that I don't know if Minnesota can match, and that's where I think the Blues can take advantage on them with. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we're going to get back into that Claude Giroux conversation because I actually think I disagree with some of the analysis that we just heard from EJ Raddick. I actually think it could make a ton of sense, but it all depends on how you're able to acquire him. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. NFL Quick Hitters coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was a new one. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. My mic wasn't on again. Yeah, one day I'm going to turn on your mic. They they, they don't know what we're talking about. Boys, we've got some big news in the NFL. This is going to surprise everybody. The Rams won the Super Bowl? We know that already. That's part of it. It Sunday. Aaron Donald? Yeah, he's retiring. Sean McVay? They're retiring. They're done. Doesn't sound like either of them are going to retire. They were both chanting, run it back yesterday. Me too. Well, maybe they mean the team, like the rest of the roster. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. you guys run it back. Also, Sean McVay's girlfriend, wife, fiance. I'm not fiance, sure what their uh, relationship is. Uh, <laughs> she also put out on, I think it was Snapchat. Maybe it was Instagram. It was Snap face. I'm not sure gram. which one it was. T-Bone was surfing the gram. That he is not retiring. So Sean McVay is going to be back for the Rams next year. Who could have seen that one coming? And Aaron Donald also said that he's planning to return next year as well. So all of that talk that we heard leading up into the Super Bowl, all for not, boys. Guys, Aaron Donald makes me insecure about my body. Holy cow. Did you see that dude yesterday? I wanted wanted to go home. Was that a 10-pack? I wanted to go home and and honestly just exercise because of the video of that man. Well, you know what you should do? You should do what his uh, training is. He trains with knives. Well, that, I, that guy's an insane. I also, human being. by the time I got home, while I was thinking about that driving, I opened up a pack of Little Debbies and I ate them. That checks out. So, what? I was just saying, you know, it makes sense. We're not, we're not <laughs> for body shaming here, man. What the hey, hell? I didn't, I didn't say that. I don't. That was T-Bone, cruel. you called me fat the other day and said I'm going to die because before I'm you 40. said you said to me, quote, 
I run out of breath coming up the stairs. That, true, I do. I did it again today. Point. I did it again today, man. It was exhausting. So speaking of the Rams, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, talking about how the Rams have built their roster, right? They've been super aggressive. I looked this up the other day. Over the last four years, since Sean McVay took over, they have made 21 different trades. They've acquired 12 different players via trade over the last you four years. You guys see the shirt Les Snead was wearing? Yeah, yeah. He, them picks. he frustrates me so much. I kind of liked it. He frustrates me so. And then the comment that he made of a, of a radio host talking about how they messed up that Stafford pick and oh god he's so frustrating I, I respect it man like, hey, plus, it, your entire you, career has been awful and you make one great trade I mean, a lot he of great built trade. this team he, he, he deserves a credit <laughs> he, he deserves a credit even if I hate the fact that it worked out for him picks. in LA that being said I think there's gonna be a whole lot of copycats that do not go the same way that the Rams have gone the reason why the Rams trades have worked is because they went for superstar talents Von Miller is one of the best pass rushers we've seen in the last 20 years. Washed up. Jalen Ramsey is maybe one of what? Three or four different quote unquote shutdown corners. I'd have nine more that are in the league right now. No, you couldn't stop Jamar Chase. He literally gave up one YOLO ball and that was it. (laughs) Uh, One went to T Higgins and that was a face mask and it wasn't. He fell. They go after superstar (laughs) talents. Other teams are going to try to do the same thing. And they're going to get the lesser version and then pay them a bunch of money and it's going to go poorly. And I think one of those teams that might try to do this, Alex, is the Indianapolis Colts. Listen to Rob Ninkovich yesterday on ESPN. Go get Jimmy G. You got a running game. You got a good defense. Ah, A quarterback that can take you to the Super Bowl. You got a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field effectively, accurately. I think Jimmy G with the Colts will put them over the top, get them to the Super Bowl. He's literally the the identical twin of Carson Wentz. What are we doing with the Colts, man? Why every year are we like, hey, they're one step away? No, they're not. Yeah, it's called Deshaun Watson. The Bills, the Patriots, the Bengals, hell, even the Steelers. Like, if you put the same quarterback on the Steelers or the Colts, I think the Steelers would be a better team than the Colts would with that respective quarterback. I would take the Browns, the Ravens, the Titans, the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Chargers, even the Broncos. I would put Indy 12th in the AFC. That's not even considering what the NFC is right now. They are not a very talented roster, man. What are we doing with this Colts love? They can't add Jimmy Garoppolo and then be a Super Bowl contender. Jimmy Garoppolo puts them in basically the same spot that they were in this year, going nine and eight. Did you just say you have the Raiders over the Colts? Yeah. They were better than them this year. Get the hell out of here. They literally made the playoffs over the Colts. As they did on Get Up in that cut. Oh, dang it. (laughs) Hold on. They made made the playoffs in a. Game that two teams could have made Raiders, the playoffs, they would have just healed head head it at the end of the year. I had Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz sucks. You put it was his. Yeah. You put Daniel Carr. Daniel Carr. Derek. Derek Carr. Who's Daniel Carr? I don't know, man. I'm I've, I've heard that. people call him David because of his brother. I, I never heard anybody call him uh, Daniel. Daniel Carr's a hockey player. Of course, I went there. <laughs> what else is new, right? You put. Who was it again? Hey, Derek. 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 You put David Carr on the Indianapolis Colts. They're a playoff team. Not David. Well, yeah, but they don't have him. Well, if that's you, what I'm saying. But I would have the Colts roster over the Raiders roster. I would not. I absolutely would not. I, I, and they lost Jonathan their Jonathan Taylor is so much better than 
Josh Jacobs, sure. If you're j- judging a, a team based on its running back, though, let's let's Mo put the Alley Panthers. Cox is better than Darren. <laughs> let's put the Panthers in the in face. the Super Bowl if we're going to judge rosters based on who their running back is. Like it's just ah, the I, Panthers aren't any good. That guy's only good for four games. I think that some teams are going to make this mistake of hey, look at what the Rams did. They had an issue with their quarterback. They needed to upgrade there, and then they added a guy that hasn't won in his career. They put him in a good situation, and he was able to get to the Super Bowl. The Colts are not a roster that can be in that kind of a spot. The Broncos, maybe. I, I could listen to the argument. I think that it's going to be really tough in that division, but I could see it. The Steelers, maybe. I could see it. I'm very curious to find out over the next two to three years how many teams convince themselves that they, like the Rams, are a piece away, and then they put themselves into the, the situation that you've been worried about the Rams, Alex. That's going to be other teams that are making a bad copycat of what the I Rams are. I think if the Colts go get Russell Wilson, they're a playoff team next year, and I think they're a dangerous team next year. I mean, I would, I would well, agree yeah, with that Yeah, but sentiment. if you put... Russell Wilson on the Steelers or the Browns or the Raiders. Like, I think all of those teams would be better. I don't think the Steelers would be because I think Russell Wilson's on his ass the entire game. I, you know, and I, I I think people, I think people look at the Matthew Stafford and go, Oh, well the Rams acquired the middle tier quarterback. Yeah, they did. But Stafford had put up really good numbers in the past with Detroit when he had a weapon like Calvin Johnson. You look at Jimmy Garoppolo. Look, he's had good numbers, but it's nothing that really stands out. And I go, wow, Jimmy G was great for a year. No, Matthew Stafford had a couple of those years in Detroit. At least that's my opinion. Like, Kirk Cousins is more of an upgrade to Indy, in my opinion, than Jimmy Garoppolo. Because Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins as much as I say he was media, I think he's an overrated quarterback, he put up really good numbers this past yeah. year. And we, I was talking about him being a dark horse for MVP. So, Kirk Cousins means more of an upgrade than Jimmy G. You had Jimmy G to the Colts. I'm kind of with BK. They're at nine and eight again, and they may be sneaking yeah, into the playoffs. Because Jimmy G's not great. I know, but you get a better that's quarterback. That's where I think teams are going to make the mistake. Is they're going to say, "Okay, we got to go get that middle tier guy." There's a difference between the bottom middle tier guy and the top middle tier guy. Stafford was probably at the top of that middle tier. Jimmy G's at the bottom. And is honestly, there a about comp to fall out for of Matthew Stafford out there? Like, I, I think I don't think this guy's going to get traded, but I would say probably the closest thing, and it's different because of the ages. But Kyler Murray would probably be that guy. Obviously, uber talented. Bad situation. I don't think great coaching staff there in Arizona. And if he went elsewhere, like if you dropped him into, I'm trying to think of a good example, like the Cleveland Browns and they added a really good receiver to that roster, I could see them being excellent next year the way that the Rams were a year ago. Um, I don't know that there's another guy that's out there that's potentially available this offseason that would fit into the Matthew Stafford conversation. I don't think Kirk Cousins is quite that. I definitely don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is that. I'd say the only guy is prop, maybe Baker Mayfield. Maybe. See, I don't know if I could throw Baker in there because he's been hurt and was just so bad this past year. Yeah, but I think if you put I, Baker on a better team, I think maybe. I think he's more successful. I, I could see it. I, I don't. I wouldn't expect it, but I could see him going elsewhere. Like you put him in a on the Broncos, for example. Maybe you could see him take them ten and seven, eleven and six, something like that. I, I could see that, but I don't think there's a whole lot of examples of of those guys yeah. that could be available this offseason. And Stafford was a really unique situation, and I agree with you. Cousins isn't that guy, even though he probably put up the numbers. That I'd say he's probably the top guy you'd want to go out if he were available. In, if Russ and Aaron Rodgers aren't, which I don't think they're going to be, but. Yeah, other than that, there really isn't that guy. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was that guy because you could look at him and say, oh, he was in the wrong situation, and that's what happened. Sam Darnold was thought to be that guy also this year, and we saw how that worked out. There's there's really not that guy this season, I don't think. And, like, 
Baker, that's probably the closest, but he's not going to get dealt, I don't think. Maybe Russ. I, I just kind of come into my mind. Russell Wilson might be that guy, but Russ is even a little bit of a different conversation. Yeah, he's, he's, he's already better. Won. I think yeah. he's better than won. Stafford. Uh, last thing here, as we go through some NFL quick hitters, we'll get to the Claude Giroux conversation here in just about five minutes or so. I saw this stat yesterday from CBS Sports. Honestly, it really surprised me. It's pretty rare that a stat makes me go, really? But that was the case for this one. Did you guys know that each of the last 16 quarterbacks to lose in their Super Bowl debut never made it back to the Super Bowl? Each of the last 16 to do it never made it back to the big game. So this includes recent examples. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, Rex Grossman, Matt Hasselbeck, Donovan McNabb, Jake DeLome, Rich Gannon, Kerry Collins, Steve McNair. That's the last 20 years of examples of these guys that never were able to make it back to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow now adds his name to the list. He made his debut in the Super Bowl this year. He lost the Super Bowl this year. Do you guys think that he will continue this trend or he will be able to buck this trend? I think he'll be able to buck this trend. I think what we've seen from Joe Burrow in Granted, I haven't seen a majority of those guys play, but I think with what we've seen from Joe Burrow and then the roster that's in place, I think they can get back there. It's just a matter of making sure you put the right roster on the field. I think he'll buck that trend. Yeah, I would too, because I think he's going to be a top five quarterback in like five years. And if he if he gets an offensive line, I, I think we're talking about him uh, completely differently. He's got the weapons around him, uh, but you get him an offensive line where he's protected. Yeah, I, I think he'll be the guy to buck that. Turn. I mean, you look at some of those guys on that list, in my opinion. It's kind of surprising when you look at it, like how many mediocre to bad yeah. quarterbacks made the Super Bowl over the last 20 years. Yeah, Goff. Uh, who was the guy for, was it Tampa? Was it Grossman? No, Grossman. Grossman was in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, Grossman was never viewed as a elite. I mean, I mean Matt I Hasselbeck was. was like 2005 version of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, so... <laughs> Burrow's definitely like better than anybody, like most of those guys on that list. So yeah, I think he'll get back. I, I think Burrow will win probably two Super Bowls in his career, at minimum. At minimum two Super Bowls, man. Yeah. It is. I think no, we have think lost sight one. of how tough it is to win a Super Bowl because yeah. of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. And it I, is I think those be... guys have completely changed our expectations for young quarterbacks. And honestly, I think it's unfair to the young quarterbacks that they did. And it's going to be really tough for him because, I mean, it's kind. Of, I mean, Tom Brady was such a. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks he had to go through in years. I mean, Philip Rivers. Peyton Manning, but that was really it. Anybody else I'm missing? Were there any other elite quarterbacks during ben. his time? Oh, yeah, Big Ben. Thank you. That was the other one I was forgetting. Uh, I mean, he, he won one when he had to go up against Patrick Mahomes and was able to go get through him. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at those quarterbacks, and now we're talking about the AFC having guys like Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, if Deshaun Watson's in the AFC, Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, we're talking about it being deep. So maybe two is kind of that number that I just, you know, when I think of it, I go, he's so good that he could get to two Super Bowls, Super Bowls but Considering the conference he's in, yeah, I'm probably jumping the gun on you that. You guys know how many quarterbacks have won more than two Super Bowls in their careers? How many quarterbacks have won more than two Super Bowls? Brady, so three or more. Manning are the two in my lifetime. Manning's right? only one. Manning's two. only one, two. Oh, uh, two or wait, what? More, more than, than two. two. Oh, so more three or more. Than, I was thinking two or more. Um, Brady and Montana are the ones that come to mind. Those are probably it. Did Bradshaw, I would say it's Bradshaw less than five. More than two? Four. Yeah. Four quarterbacks in NFL history have won, yeah, more than two. It's <laughs> Troy Aikman won three. He was three and zero in the Super Bowl. Joe Montana was four and zero. Terry Bradshaw four and zero, and Tom Brady went seven and three. Tom Brady completely changed the way that we view the quarterback position. It used to be one hell of a career if you were able to get two. Bart Starr won two Super Bowls. Bart Starr 
who at a time was considered to be the GOAT. I don't know who that Bob is. Bob Greasy, who's one of the winningest quarterbacks of his generation, 2-1 and one in the Super Bowl. Roger Staubach, who at a time was considered to be one of the best, 2-2 two and two in the Super Bowl. John Elway, again, some considered him prior to Tom Brady to be the best, 2-3 and three in the Super Bowl. It is really hard to win a bunch of Super Bowls in his career. Tom Brady just made it look easy, and so it completely changed the way that we evaluate quarterbacks now, and I think it's really unfair. It's a lot, Tom. To answer my own question, I think he'll buck this trend. I think he gets back, but I do not think he gets multiple Super Bowls. No, it's I think he gets so one Super Bowl. unbelievably difficult to do. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer, but coming up next, I got a whole lot of thoughts on this Claude Giroux conversation, and I know Alex does too. Everybody seems to be pushing back on the notion that the Blues should acquire a forward. I actually think it makes some sense for him. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. yesterday here in St. Louis. I don't even know if it's news necessarily, but the rumor was that Claude Giroux would like to come to the Central Division. And in the Central, he's looking at the Blues, the Wild, and the Avs, otherwise known as the three best teams in this division. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you're not familiar with Claude Giroux's work, he's very, very, very good. He can play center. He can play the left wing. He's 34 years old, and he's on the final year of his contract, Alex. And he's got a salary of $8.2 million this year. Now, the rumor yesterday stemmed because he's apparently working with management for the Flyers to be able to find his new destination. Here's the wrinkle. He has a full no-move clause. He gets to determine where he goes. This is kind of like the Nolan Arenado situation where Arenado held all of the leverage with the Rockies, and he was able to tell them, no, you're trading me to one of two teams, either the Dodgers or the Cardinals. And by doing so, that immediately suppresses the value that you have on the market because there's only so many teams that are able to make a deal for you. You can't get that same bidding war that you could if this was open to every team across the NHL. If Giroux genuinely wants to go to these three, one of these three teams, well, then you've only got the potential of three teams looking to acquire him. And we have no idea if the Wilds or the Avs are legitimately interested in his services. I would imagine they are because he's a good player, but the money will play a role in this, and what you have to give up uh, in assets will play a role. Alex, I actually really like the idea of adding Claude Giroux to this team. He is great defensively. You mentioned the stat during the break. He's excellent on the dot as a face-off guy. He can add yet another center down the middle for you, and... Everybody talks about how important the defense is, the defensemen are, in terms of your team defense. Man, the forwards are really important in that regard as well. And this is a guy that could come in and not only help you defensively in your own zone, but also by having the puck in the other team's zone more often, that by virtue of not having to play defense as much makes you better defensively. If you don't have to give up a ton for Giroux, and that's possible because of the situation with his no-movement clause, I actually love, love the possibility of adding a guy like this to the Blues roster. Yeah, I tweeted yesterday when the original report came out, and I'm like, I don't know where he fits into this team. So I was out on it because, yeah, you got to upgrade defensively. The more I thought about it, the more it just makes sense if you're able to do this. It's it's two-seated as well. Like, one, you're keeping him away 
from the other teams in the Central. Because imagine the Colorado Avalanche with Claude Giroux. Imagine the Minnesota Wild with Claude Giroux. This is a number one centerman. Now, he'd probably be playing third-line center or second-line wing with the Avalanche, but he'd be the number one center with the Minnesota Wild. This is a guy who is going to help whoever he goes to get closer to a Stanley Cup. The second tier of this is he makes your team better, like it or not. Yes, I understand what EJ Raddick and Joe said. You are deep at the forward position. It seems like you have great chemistry right now as well. Why would you want to mess that up? But what you what you are getting in Claude Giroux is a former captain, a guy who you know knows what his role would be with the Blues if he came over here, somebody who's familiar with Craig Berube, the head coach, and Braden Shannon, alternate captain. But you got a guy who's versatile. He could play on your second or third line. He could be a centerman for you. He could be a wing for you. And he increases your offense. He's got 745 points in 780 games over the last 10 years. I mean, nearly a point-per-game player. And on the face-offs, this is an area that Craig Bruby has said has to get better. And the team has struggled in face-offs. I think they're middle of the pack so far this season in face-off win percentage. Over the last 10 years, there are only four centermen who have a better face-off win percentage than Claude Giroux. And right behind him is Ryan O'Reilly. I understand the mantra of you got to go get a defenseman, you got to get better on the back end. Here's my thing. The Blues' identity is puck possession and offense and speed through the neutral zone. They like to play offense. If you add a guy who's defensive-minded as a forward and also somebody who creates offense to your already dominant top nine, you're you're increasing and improving your defense as well with this. I think if you put a Claude Giroux on the ice who plays 18, 19 minutes a night like a Ryan O'Reilly does well, then your defensemen probably aren't going to be sitting in these odd man rush situations as much as possible. So I'm warming up to the idea of Claude Giroux with a little caveat. If you pull the deal off to get him, I think you still have to find an upgrade over Marco Scandella defensively. I'm not saying you got to set the world on fire with a Mark Giordano or Jacob Chikrin or um, a a Ben Sherratt, which I don't like, but I am saying go get a Zidane Chara to play your third pairing. Go get somebody who can be a little bit better than Marco Scandella for 14, 15 minutes a night. Yeah, see, I look at it, and, and look, if they add Claude Giroux, it's adding into kind of the depth of the forward. So I'm not going to completely complain about it. I just don't know if the deal makes all that sense because I don't think Daniel Chara is that much of an upgrade defensively, and I don't. that's the biggest issue for me. I get it, the forwards play a part in playing defense, but I look at our our defensive pairings now, and I go, that is the issue. They need someone that's going to become a shutdown pairing with Colton Pareko. I, I don't think the defense will improve enough by adding a – a quote-unquote defensive-minded forward in a Claude Giroux. I think they have to go upgrade the defense much more than they need to go add a forward. Again, he would be a nice piece to kind of add to the depth of this team offensively. You mentioned the face-off. He can help improve the face-off percentage. This team is fine forward-wise. They Who's can the go- defenseman that you think will upgrade them then? Because it's I, easy. To, I, I'm I with think, you I think in, if, a, in if a hypothetical scenario. I am with you that they should upgrade their defense over upgrading their forward group. But... I can't just sit here and yell at the clouds and say they need to go get a top pairing left-handed defenseman when, I, I mean, let's be honest here, guys. I don't know that player, if that player exists this year at the trade deadline. I think he does, and I think it's a one player that does it. It's Mark Giordano, and he's too expensive. And he's $9 million. Yeah, and, and he's he's the guy or the Jacob Chikrin one. He's the one that I look at, but I don't know if the Blues go make that move. I, I think they should. Because and Chikrin, can, by the way, is having a terrible season. Chikrin's basically a Ben Sherratt. I think he's better than Ben Sherratt, but he's offensive-minded. And, and from what you're stating, T-Bone, you want somebody who's a shutdown defenseman, and Chikrin 
Gordon's just not a shutdown defenseman. Maybe he makes Pareko more of a shutdown that, defenseman. That, that's where I'm going. Is if we're going to say that Colton Pareko is supposed to be this Jay Bomeister type defenseman for the Blues, then he's going to have to be the shutdown but defenseman. But here's the thing with that: you're you're hoping that you can trade for a guy to come in and make Colton Pareko better. If you're going to go acquire somebody, you're falling into the Tory Krug, Justin Falk situation on defense where you're putting a new face on a line with Colton Pareko that he's got to build chemistry with in a matter of 30 something days before the playoffs start. Whereas I would rather throw maybe somebody on a line with Robert Bortuzzo, who is Joe Vitale mentioned is vanilla. You know what he's going to do. I would rather have somebody play with Bortuzzo and figure out that chemistry and let Nico Mikola continue to grow. And to the point about adding a forward, not really improving defense, his puck possession numbers are through the roof. His Corsi four percentage, which in that situation, how often do you control the offense? This year, this season where he's with a really bad Philadelphia team, it's 59.3%, which is excellent. By the way, that's like prime Ryan O'Reilly. That's what I was going to say. Ryan O'Reilly is, he's only been to 59% once and it was with Colorado when he was 21 years old. And Claude Giroux has been at 59% pretty much his entire career. So here, here's where I'm at and why this looks so much more intriguing to me. If you make a deal for something like this, you're basically strengthening your forward core and you're strengthening your fourth line. Yep. Because Barbashev what I'm probably looking, drops down. Barbashev or David Perron probably drops down and Barbashev might be your fourth line centerman. And guess what? A Barbashev, Sunquist, and Costin fourth line looks pretty damn good. Hell, Barbashev, Joshua, and Sunquist. Like, es- however you want to construct. Especially it. if Claude Giroux's jumping in to play on a wing with Braden Shannon, Jordan, Cairo, or if I David Perron. I would honestly know what I would do is I would put him up there with Ryan O'Reilly. And I would create a shutdown defensive line that is dangerous offensively. And then I'd put Perron with Shannon Kairou and have that be an offensive line. See, I would go O'Reilly, Thomas, and Giroux as my three centermen. Those would be my guys that I'm building down the middle with. Barbie is probably going to be centering my fourth line. And I feel excellent about all four centers now. And then as your options on the wing, you've got... Kairu, Shin, Buchnevich, Tarasenko, Saad, and Perron yep. on your top six. And you can construct that however you decide you want to. We throw a, it in a blender. We got a text from the 618. How is Giordano more expensive than Giroux? It's $1 million difference in salary. It's not more expensive in terms of the salary. It's more expensive in terms of what you were having to give up for that player. It, it's all about the player having the leverage. Yep. That, that's why I brought up the um, the situation with Nolan no, no, Arnato. No, no, no. Everybody gives the Rockies crap for what they got for him or what they didn't get for Nolan Arnado, and they should. What they ended up giving him up for was it, it was ridiculous, yeah, and they never should have traded. They him had at no that leverage, cost. but they had no leverage because the player wanted to go to certain spots. He was going to veto any trade elsewhere, and so as a team, if you decide, okay, we have to get rid of him to be able to recoup some assets, well, then eventually you just got to give him up for what you're willing to get. And Claude Giroux is a free agent at the end of this year. Yeah. If Philly doesn't get rid of him at the deadline, they get nothing, they get nothing in return. And he leaves this offseason, and they get no assets for him, and they just have a lost season where they lost one of their best players. Well, by giving him away at the deadline to one of these three teams that he's willing to go to, at least you get something in return. And my assumption would be the way that you can make this work if you're the Blues. I just tried this over on Cap Friendly, Alex. They have a trade generator that you can use. If... Philly is able to eat half of his contract and you put Marco Scandella on LTIR. It works for the blues money wise. So half of the money is eaten by the, the flyers. You put Marco Scandella on LTIR and that is without sending anything other than a draft pick in return. 
you can make this work money-wise for the Blues. So th- they can do this. They can make a move like this. It's probably going to cost you, I would assume, first-round pick, maybe some kind of conditional pick and potentially. if they're going to eat salary, you'd probably have to throw in a second or a third-round draft sure. pick as well. And, and I think you'd, be, you'd have to be willing to and, do that. And here's the thing, though. You don't know that with Philly. Philly's got to do anything, but Philly might say, well, we're just going to keep them then. Because if unless somebody's going to come, because what I read, um, I, I forgot if this was from Frank Saravalli or somewhere else, but from what I understand, Philly is hoping to get some type of piece back that can help them in the future. They're not looking to rebuild. Now, again, they have no leverage with this, so it doesn't really make sense for them. They might have to trade him for whatever you get. Yeah, it's easy to say that now. Exactly. But you might have to look at possibly giving up a roster player. But who knows with this circumstance? This is my final thought on this with Claude Giroux. We've talked so much about Doug Armstrong going all in, going all in for a defenseman. I don't think there is a defenseman that is the term go all in for other than Mark Giordano, but that's probably going to cost you a first round pick in Jake neighbors because Seattle's not moving them for anything. You want to go all in, you go get the best available centerman at this trade deadline, best available forward, best player, best player who comes in can play in any of your top nine positions with what you need him. power play penalty kill. He's a guy that does everything for you. And I don't know if that disrupts your chemistry as much as it would be for you to have to go out there and get a Mark Giordano in terms of what you would have to give up for it. I think this upgrades your team more than any defenseman would that is currently available on the market. And in my opinion, you're better than pretty much all of the teams in the Western Conference if you make this move. I also think you can't only make this move. You would have to then also go out there and acquire a defenseman. And this is why my Justin Braun thing I think is really interesting is because you could do a one-stop shop where you go to Philly and you say, hey, we want Claude Giroux. We know he's only willing to go to one of three spots. And if you're not going to give him up for a reasonable cost, we're not even going to talk about it because we know you're you're kind of bent over here over a barrel. You you got no option with Giroux. You you have no, no real opportunity to be able to go elsewhere. If you are Philly and you're going to make a move like this, And Braun is also a free agent after this season. He's on an expiring deal. I think it could make a lot of sense for the Blues to get both players in one deal. I don't know that Braun is the best option for you, but I think he's a pretty good one. He's a right-handed defenseman. He has played on the left side before, and I think he could help you on your third pairing, like you mentioned earlier with what Joey had to say about that. If you don't go there... I think Zidane Ochar is probably the guy. I think He's that would super be my, cheap. Yeah. You could go out there and get him both in terms of the asset that you'd have to give up and also the salary. I think that's probably the I think the the best version of the Blues after the deadline, I think, involves Claude Giroux in your forward group and one of those third pairing defensemen that you are able to acquire at the deadline. I yeah. think that's the best possible way that you could upgrade this team. I think they can compete even if they don't make the move with Claude Giroux. I think this team is still very stacked at offense. Um, I like the identity of this fourth line. If you don't get Claude Giroux, you got to upgrade on defense still. And I, if you can get a Mark Giordano, awesome. If not, I think you do need to get a Zidane Ochara. He would probably be the best case scenario. But if you're able to acquire Claude Giroux, and still upgrade, I would do Chara over Justin Braun. In my opinion, that team is the best in the Western Conference. I'd have them ahead of the Colorado Avalanche. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed any of our conversations earlier today, we had a lot of talk about this situation with both Joey Vitale and EJ Raddick earlier. You can find that on the podcast page after the show today, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You send us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're believing it or not. 
It's Tanner's favorite segment of the week. Oh, but coming yeah. up next, who baby, MLB and MLBPA, they had a 15-minute conversation today, All Alex. right, deal's done. I think there is one way that we get out of this thing, and I don't think that they're going to look uh, look into it. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So Major League Baseball, yeah, and the Players Association, they met today and they agreed to terms. Baseball back. No, no oh, agreement. No. Okay. Well, at least it had to have gone better than what they uh, did last time because Rod Manfred said they're uh, making proposals in good faith. No, no. Uh, this one lasted 15 minutes. It was all of uh, 15 minutes between the two sides that were good things uh, can negotiating happen with minutes. one another. This was the Players Association's turn. I uh, don't want to ask any follow-up questions to that statement. Alex, this was the Players Association's turn to uh, well, give their proposal to the owners. And apparently there was basically zero progress. In fact, some people think that it went backwards today. Oh, yeah? There are now, I believe it is 11 days from when MLB said this is their deadline to be able to start the season on time. Alex, we ain't starting the season on time. In fact, at this point, I'm not even worried about when we start the season. Like It is what it is. We'll, We'll talk about it when we get there, and I hope that it happens as soon as possible. I'm now looking at the grander scheme of things with what we're watching with baseball. Alex, I am typically pro players. And I understand what they're fighting for. I get it. And and I do think that the owners have been um, more misleading publicly than the players have been in terms of what their actual objectives are here in this in this negotiation. I am confused by the players complete unwillingness to consider a salary cap in their sport. And the reason why I even bring this up is because there are now reports that have come out about how the players would like there to be a floor. That makes sense to me. I get that. If you're looking around the league and you've got teams like the Pirates and the Orioles that are out here spending $40 million on their entire payroll, they're spending less on their payroll than what you're expecting to see from Max Scherzer and his salary this year. Okay, yeah, I can see how that's a problem if you're you're the Players Association. But they also don't want significant penalties to go over the threshold for the luxury tax, which has always been there, right? The Players Association is essentially saying, okay, we need a floor. Don't have too much of a ceiling, but you can have a ceiling. Alex, what do you call that? Uh, I believe I call that a salary cap. That's what exists already in the all NHL. of the other sports. And I'm not sitting here saying that you've got to have a cap. But the only way forward for these sides to be able to consistently be able to work with one another is if they are forced to, man. And the only way to force them to work together is a salary cap. Because at that point in time, you've got the books that are opened and you got to say, here's our revenue. This is the bottom line every year. And we're splitting this at this percentage. Players, you get 48%. Owners get 52%. Now, the problem with this, Alex, just to uh, put down my own argument, I suppose is that they're not going to agree on what the revenue is. And that's what is so damn frustrating about all of this. Yeah, is but if the, they have to agree in good, or if they have to have all the books open, 
I mean, doesn't that pretty much yeah, come to terms itself? Because, like, I think the Cardinals, if I'm not mistaken, can classify revenue separate from uh, Ballpark Village. Baseball-related revenues is what they would argue about then. And the Cardinals would say Ballpark Village is not part of our baseball-related revenue. The players would say that is. And that's just one specific example of this, whereas it, it, those kinds of things exist all over in baseball, in different markets across America. And so it, I, I guess the frustration for me is, Alex, there is such a fundamental disbelief, distrust between the two sides. I don't know how you move forward with this, man. I don't see this getting any, any better. Tanner mentioned this the other day when we were talking about this. Yeah, cool. They're going to be able to get an agreement here. Does anybody believe that it's going to be any different the next time that they have to have these discussions? Though? No, because it feels like what's going to happen is what took place when Rob Manfred kind of forced an, forced them to play baseball. Now, I know he's not going to do that because they have to come to an agreement, but this feels like it's going to be, look, we just need to play games. Let's do a one-year deal or something so we can play, and then we're going to be right back to the table with this again. One... This is why I think you do need to get to the negotiator side of the of thing. You got to get somebody to come in there. The mediator. Yeah, you got to get the mediator to come in because this is just ridiculous now because both sides are just are, are petty with both of these things. Here's my other question. And look, I am under the belief Rod Manfred is is not good at what he does. When do we start pointing fingers at Tony Clark? Because I, I don't know how great of a leader he is on this side either. Because like you just pointed out, the players are wanting all of these things, but yet they're refusing to get the one thing that would probably come to a resolution with this. When do you start pointing fingers at this side of the game? The thing that I don't understand is why players are so gung-ho against it. Like, I, I, they fought against it 25 years ago when they won, and it's maybe the biggest win by any player's association in the last 25 years, probably. But at this point in time, like, you look at what the NHL did with its cap, Alex, it helped the sport. It made yeah. the sport better. To have that in place. You look at the NFL, man, it, look at how easy it is now for them to be able to get these CBAs done. It, it happens every every five, ten years, whatever the, the distance is out that they're they're planning for. Like, And it works. It works in favor of the players sometimes. The caps are exploding in all of these other sports. Meanwhile, the spending in baseball is stagnant. And if you are able to open up the books, and this would take some trust, a lot of trust in the owners, maybe they don't even deserve this. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I probably am, honestly. But if they were willing to just include all of the baseball-related revenues and we could agree on what those were, now all you got to do is decide, okay, what's the split? Is it 52-48? Is it 51-49? Is it 50-50? We know it ain't going to be that. But if it's something <laughs> resembling that, like... It will not be 50-50. You could get to a place where both sides are able to actually negotiate on the same terms. Right now, everything is talking past one another. And that's that's what's so damn frustrating, man. Yeah, I I don't like hearing... Like, I've always been confused when players say, well, we really want to work on getting that competitive balance. Because it is ridiculous when you look at the Pittsburgh Pirates and they're, and they're spending. Cleveland Guardians are doing that as well. There's multiple teams doing it. Props to you but for I, saying that without messing up. Thank you. I'm a pro. Uh, but I, I look at the... I look at it and the players can say, okay, it's all about competitive balance. Look, I get you're hesitant against wanting a salary cap. I totally get that from the players, but don't sell me this BS that you care about competitive balance if you're not even going to listen to it because that is the best way for there to be competitive balance because it forces a floor on these low market teams like Pittsburgh. It forces a bit of a cap on the high spenders. That way there's that balance of, okay, they can't exceed a certain point. Sure, they're going to have probably more talent and they're going to be better off for it, but they can't just out blow, blow away the competition where you get the Yankees who just spend all the money. I mean, every year we always talk about who's going to be the big spenders. It's always the 
the same teams. It's always the Yankees. It's always the Dodgers. It's the same teams over and over and over again. Now, Every owners now and would then, argue, yeah, but look at, at the teams that have also had the success. We've had the Rays go to the World Series. We've and, had the Royals go to the World Series. We've had the Padres have suddenly entered the mix of a, a big spending team. Like, I, I do understand Scott, that. but There was a great piece on the athletics. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I caught up with Scott Boris. And Scott Boris made a great point, in my opinion. He said, yeah, they have success, but it lasts for like four years. It's true. And it's so much harder for them to repeat it. Unlike if you had, I'll just throw a cap out there for now. I mean, you look at the, I'm tr- who's like a mid-level team in the NHL? You could have a mid-market team or no, a low-market team. The, 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 the Blues the, yeah, are a the mid-market Chiefs. team, they, and they spend to the cap every year. And they have they can spend to the cap, and they can stay they can stay good consistently. There are teams, the Milwaukee that, Bucks, in, in the NBA. Exactly, like, there are teams that are bad, but that is we've talked about it. It comes down to more than likely ownership. Like you look at the Miami Dolphins, ownership is a big issue of it. Or front offices just make the wrong moves. If you have a good front office and good ownership, you can be good consistently. But it's much harder in baseball because you are going to run on a four-year window when you can't spend that money. And you look at the Rays. They traded Blake Snell after he was pitching a gem in a World Series game. Now, look, that deal probably worked for them because Blake Snell was not very good in San Diego. But that deal historically makes no sense. When you think of it, that deal makes no sense for Tampa Bay when you could say, well, they should just keep Blake Snell. They should be willing to spend to keep Blake Snell. And now with them spending 300 some million dollars on Wander Franco, it makes them a little more tougher. But I guarantee you they will move on from that deal if there is no cap. They will find a way to trade him and get a ton of assets in return at some point in his contract. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 573. Guys, the salary caps are BS. NHL has a cap and they make way less money. NFL contracts are ripped up immediately. Hate the salary cap. Leave this alone. Okay, let me attack these uh, individually. The NHL has a salary cap, and they make less because the league operates with less revenue. The salary cap is very simple. What is our revenue? What percentage of that do the players get? Let's say it's 50-50, right? And we're a $10 billion a year business. Well, then in that situation, the players would get 50%, which is $5 billion, and that is divvied up amongst the 30 teams. That's it. It's that simple. And, And that is your cap for the following season, and it's all based on their projections. The NFL contracts are ripped up immediately. Okay. You know why? Because they're non-guaranteed. MLB's contracts are guaranteed from the moment that you sign them. That would not change because of a salary cap. The NBA has guaranteed contracts. The NHL has guaranteed contracts. Now, you can buy out in the NHL. That is a clause within the CBA that you could negotiate if you decided to do so. But that is not something that is because they have the salary cap. NFL contracts are non-guaranteed because that's the way it's always been, and the Players Association has not been able to get to the place where they are able to argue in favor of guaranteed contracts because the owners have the power, much like we're watching right now with baseball. You hate the salary cap because of things that exist that are literally there that are beside the salary cap. Those are not because of it. The salary cap, if it were implemented into baseball, would have nothing to do with the guaranteed deals. It would have nothing to it would not change the amount of revenue that is coming into the sport. It would just be divvied up evenly amongst those teams. Also from the 636, guys, NHL players are surrendering 30 percent of their earnings to escrow thanks to the salary cap. That is not exactly true. The NHL players are surrendering 30% of their earnings to escrow because they agreed to that in their CBA, because that's the way that they project things. It is not the same way in the NFL, not to that degree. It is not the same way to that degree in the NBA. 
the pandemic changed things for the NHL, which made them put more into escrow. So uh, th- there are a lot of arguments that are against the, the salary cap that are just not factually accurate. Yeah, that escrow, that's what's happening to the NHL right now. Or that's why we have the flat cap, because they have to pay that escrow Correct. back over like the next five or six years. I think they're splitting the it up NFL, with NFL. They have a flat cap right now because revenues drop so much and they're artificially being able to keep it up to prop it up, which they're basically going from, OK, we made let's say $100 million last year, we're going to make that up over a five-year stretch where we're going to be over those projections in those individual seasons, but we're basically paying back a loan, that kind of a thing. Uh, that's Again, essentially where they are. Bring the mediator in now because this is just ridiculous. I mean, why are we even having 15-minute meetings where you're coming in saying, this is what we want. Okay, well, we're not doing it. All right, well, then we're done. Bring the mediator in. 65780 is your comfort service text line. It is so obvious you guys have never been involved in a union, been on strike, or involved in a lockout. You are correct, sir. I've never been in a union, I've never been on strike, and I've never been involved in a lockout. I'm also looking at what the situation is, I I believe, as a neutral observer. And when you look at this, it is very hard for me to stand here and say, Major League players are right by arguing against the salary cap. Now, A prerequisite to that would be understanding what the baseball-related revenues are. And that is hard for me to know if they would actually be able to do that with the owners. The answer is probably no. And so maybe all of this is just hot air that's wasted. But if they were able to do that, then a salary cap would actually, at this point in time, in my opinion, be good for the sport of baseball. It would be good for you as a fan. I think it's great for the sport of baseball. It would probably force the Cardinals to spend more. To be honest with you, and it would definitely spend or force teams like the Pirates or the Rays to spend more. So I, I just I'm at a place now with what we're watching with baseball and the bickering that's going back and forth and the fact that we're going to almost certainly miss games this year. Eventually, we just got to be able to say the best thing for the sport to move forward is actually going to what the other sports are doing that allows them to continue playing the games. I'm just so sick of this back and forth, man, and it's it's just growing more frustrating by the day. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Blues depth that forward is impressive. Everybody, including their opponents now, is speaking about it. We'll tell you about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Tanner's favorite segment, believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. This will really bring up the mood after a, I can't see Especially because the text line just keeps calling us babies. It's yeah. unnecessary. Make BK feel better. I got you, BK. I got you. Thanks, buddy. Text line you too. Baseball will be back. Believe it or not, I don't know. No, 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 you no, 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 I, Did I you beat K. Oak, the best fans in baseball? Uh, well, I, well, he's th- not the one who said it. Yeah, the, the morning show said that Cardinal Nation is dead because baseball is dying. I, I was wow. surprised to hear it. I don't know what that means. Yeah, believe it or not, Cardinal Nation is dead. I hope not. <laughs> I won't believe that. Well, I mean, as long as they get home safe with all this traffic out oh. here, I think they'll be fine. 
The roads I, are horrible. Cardinal Nation, be safe driving home. Be, be very safe out there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Believe It or Not. By the way, guys, I've seen like six different shows nationally that are now doing this segment. You're welcome. And it started within the last month or two. Is Thief Smith back at it again? Apparently, he's working for Good Morning Football. He's working for Get Up. I don't understand it, man. We started this segment. Now everybody else is trying to steal it. Let's start out with this one. Believe it or not, guys, the Blues will acquire... Our boy, Claude Giroux. said three different names for the trade deadline. Believe it or not, they will acquire Claude Giroux by the trade deadline. I'm going to believe this one, and it might be me just being a fan here, but look, I mean, he's got a no-movement clause if he's basically stated. And look, some of the reporting has been Michael Russo, who covers the Wild, put something out a couple of days ago basically saying the report that Adrian Dater put out there that Giroux wanted to go to those three teams was false. Who knows with this, but Frank Saravalli put in that post out yesterday. Frank is about as in touch with scouts and agents as much as anybody in the NHL. Um, I- I'm going to believe this one because if it's down to those three teams, Colorado, I think, is going to spend on a defenseman. I, I think Colorado is going to really try for a Zidane Chara. Minnesota, I think, is going to really effort for Claude Giroux. But here's the thing. If the picks are down to Minnesota and St. Louis... Giroux's got the connections with Craig Berube and Braden Shin. So I'm going to say I'm going to believe this one. I'm not going to believe this one. I, I still think the Blues are going to make a deal for a defense. And whether that's the char, it's overpaying for an Alexiak, or I don't think they're going to get Chikrin even though. Uh, but I, I don't know if they're going to go to Claude Giroux. I, I think this is either A, smoke being thrown out there by the agent, or B, just Army trying to bring up the asking price for if Colorado is going to get involved or Minnesota is going to get involved. I just don't know if the deal makes that much, in my opinion, it doesn't make as much sense as getting a defenseman, so I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I I think that Doug Armstrong is zigging while everybody else decides to zag. I think that what we've seen from the Blues this season is they believe their best defense can be consistent, consistently playing in the other team zone. Puck possession. And that has been, like, as much as we talk about what is the identity of Craig Berube's teams, it's not just physicality. Like, I think we kind of fell into that because that's what the team was at the time. The identity of a Craig Berube team is puck possession. And you can get come about that in a million different ways, whether that's dumping the puck in and uh, going about it with a four check and all that different stuff. Or if you end up just being a team that can skate through the neutral zone and you've got great passing and you've got guys that can consistently put the puck on the net, like, that's fine too. He doesn't care how you go about it as long as it's north and south. That's all he cares about. Get the puck into the ozone and go to work. And that's what this Blues team has been exceptional at so far this year. And if they can add another guy Who's who helps you it. and is one of the best at that style, man, it would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. So I, I actually think that I'm going to believe this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues will add a defenseman before the deadline. I'm not going to believe this. Interesting. Just because of what we just said with the Giroux, maybe Doug Armstrong is zigging while everyone's zagging. But on top of it, I mean, I could see him possibly adding like a depth piece that can become a seventh defenseman. But I really believe they view this as Pareko and Mikkel are building and they're going to keep those guys together. If they add somebody, it would be to play with Robert Bortuzzo. 
And all of that kind of depends on Scott Perunovich now with the Springfield Thunderbirds. If he goes back to his form after these injuries, they might go back to him and have Scandella as a seventh defenseman. So there's guys out there that we haven't talked about that could be really good third-pairing defensemen. Justin Braun's one you brought up. Uh, Nick Letty from the Detroit Red Wings. Calvin DeHaan from the Chicago Blackhawks. There's guys out there, but I wonder if Doug Armstrong says, no, we're going to get better in one area and we're going to leave our defense the way it's been and see if we can improve this way. See, I'm going to believe it because I I truly believe even if it is a move that just upgrades that third pairing, I I believe that the Blues, excuse me, I believe the Blues will do, I get emotional over the defenseman stuff, man. I I think the Blues will make a move for a defenseman, whether it's third pairing guy or a guy that goes up with Colton Braco. And I do truly believe that if they don't acquire a defenseman, it's a failed deadline. I I really do because I see that as such a major need. And I've thought that for the last season and a half. And I get it. There's probably, we're talking about it, you know, BK, you brought up the point. Well, who's that guy? I think Giordano, I get it. The asking price, if it's Sherrod, if it's Chikrin, I don't care. They need someone to help shore up this defensive core. And if they don't, I think it's a failed deadline. So I believe Army will make the move. I I think he sees the hole that we all see as well. I believe it. I think they're going to add, at a minimum, Zidane Ochara. I I think this is a situation kind of like with the Cardinals this year where I do think that they were looking for pitchers around June. I think that they believed that all of the asking prices were too high and they weren't willing to meet that. I think it's a very similar situation right now for the car or for the blues rather. I think they're looking around. They're saying, man, these, these prices are extraordinarily high for the players that we're looking to acquire. Like we can get Giroux for a first round pick, or we could get whoever Ben, ben Sherratt for a first round pick. I'm well, I mean, if Giroux. you're just going one or the other, yeah, it's obvious you'd rather have Giroux, even though he might not necessarily fit the need that you have right now. And eventually the the Cardinals came to the decision that, hey, we can get some guys in John Lester and uh, Jay Happ for basically nothing. I think that's the version of what the the Blues would be looking at with Zidane Ochara. So I think they'll acquire one. It's just a matter of what the what caliber of player. The other side with this one, too, is remember that article that Doug Armstrong talked with Pierre Lebrun on The Athletic. And he talked about how, you know, you bring somebody in where you have a guy on your roster already. And I understand some of this is accepting roles, but. You're going to basically say, hey, Mikolo, we think you're going to be a great top pairing defenseman, but right now you're not. So we're going to get somebody to play there for you in the next season. It's yours. I would rather keep him there and go that route of getting a Chara and put him on the third pairing. The problem is I just don't know. Chara is an interesting one because their general manager, Lulu Amarillo, he's about as much of a stickler as Doug Armstrong is. So he might be looking at We want a first round draft pick for him. And then there's going to be like, well, nobody's giving you that for a 44 year old. He he should learn because remember. We thought they'd be the team that'd be interested in Vladdy, and they weren't. They weren't willing to meet the asking price. Yeah, and I'm sure they regret now, that now just as now much they as they suck. So take that. <laughs> I'm sure they regret it. How much do you think Seattle's regretting right now the fact that oh. they saw that Vladdy was available oh, to them, and they're like, "Nah, we're good." That's one of we'll the biggest done. mistakes in the NHL in, in a long time for dude. a lot of people, but more so than the who Seattle was, Kraken. Who was the goalie they didn't take too? Was it Price? It was Flurry. Yeah, it's Flurry. Oh, was it Flurry? Yeah, because they basically had him exposed in that draft. Oh, boy, Seattle, what the hell are See, you doing up there? If, if you would have gone back to, and I understand the different scenario because Vegas, Tarasenko would have probably been prior to those shoulder surgeries. Vegas would have snatched him up in a heartbeat. That's the one mistake Seattle made, in my opinion. I mean, the worst case scenario was you had a two-year deal with a former superstar that could be the face of your franchise, and it doesn't work out. Best case scenario, you have an all-star. <laughs> like, the, yeah. it, it just... 
it never made sense to me why they wouldn't at least take the risk. Oh, and you know he would have torn it up too if like great. Blues expose him. He goes to Seattle. He's healthy. He would have yeah. done what we're watching right now. Yeah. Like it, it was yeah, just a question of do you trust the health? And they didn't trust the health, and I, I think they're paying the price as a result. Mm-hmm. All right, and final they, question. Real quick, they would have had the second part of the STL line. They would have had Schwartz too. Yeah, because yep. they signed Schwartz. And they could have gotten Latare if they wanted him. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think. Any, I, no, I'm actually might, not sure. That's yeah, true. he might be in prison right now. We're not sure. Uh, believe it or not. The Cardinals will lack fan support this year because of the lockout. Is that because Cardinal Nation's dead? Apparently. Um, do you guys think that there no. will be a significant number of people that do not go to Cardinals games this year because the, the lockout has extended into the regular season? I don't. I, I think there would be other reasons before the lockout keeps people away because people just have an emotional tie to the Cardinals. I, I think the generic fans people in tampa i think those are the fans that be like yeah ain't going blank this well understandable but the twelve thousand people that actually show up cut that in half because of the lockout i I don't think it affects the cardinals as much as it'll affect other teams in major league baseball yeah i don't believe this i do think there will be at the beginning we may see part of that i I really do i I think at the beginning especially let's say baseball comes back in what may you've still got the nhl playoffs going on if the blues are in it then they're going to be more tuned into that and they'll say why do i need baseball they just took me through this whole whirlwind of stuff i'm not going to be focusing on that but by the time that playoffs end and baseball is going on and it's the only sport I do believe Cardinal Nation will go back to him. Again, maybe at the beginning they're a little bit more hesitant because they're upset with baseball, and I totally understand that. But at some point, I think people go, oh, you know what, I just miss going down to the ballpark. I miss watching the Cardinals. They're going to be pretty good this year. I think people will return. I am so not believing this. I was listening to the, the morning show today, and they were, they were talking about how they do believe that there will be a, a significant impact on attendance this year because of the lockout. Guys, all of the explanations that the texts were giving were the same explanations that we've heard over the last like five years as to why the attendance is waning out at Bush Stadium. The reality is this. People don't go to the games when you're not playing well. People don't go to the games when they don't feel like they're attached to the team. They do go to the games when the team is playing really well and it's interesting and it's engaging. And I think the Cardinals have a chance to be really good this year. And if they are, if they end up being a team that is clearly the best in the central has a real shot to be a contender in the national league. Maybe makes a big move at the deadline. Like we're all going to go back out to the games because we love baseball here in St. Louis. And we also lived without sports for nearly a year. Yeah. I don't know if anybody wants to ever handle that again. And so all of the things that I, I was listening to this morning is that they were talking about it, whether it be COVID related, that that's obviously new. And there's definitely some of that. But also that the crime rates downtown, I heard a lot of that this morning. Um, the fact that they the, the game moves really slowly, um, it takes too much time, it's expensive. All of these are the same things that I've been hearing. I remember doing the show with, uh, with uh, Kevin Wheeler. This was five years ago now. And we were talking about the, the change in attendance and how it had waned towards the end of the season for the Cardinals. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was because the team was struggling. So if the team struggles again this year, if it's a lot like June was last year, yeah, you're going to see people stop going to the games. And it's because of that, not because of this lockout. Um, You you might be right, Tanner. It might be at the beginning of the year. You've got some situations where people aren't going out there as often because they're so frustrated with it. But if the the team starts playing better and they're winning at like a 700 clip, man, people are going to get back out to the stadium because people love going to watch the Cardinals. It's... 
It might not be the national pastime anymore. It certainly still is here in St. Louis. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the Blues depth and how it's impressing everybody. That's coming up in the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, I've got a comp for two Cardinals prospects that I want to throw at you guys and a potential midseason acquisition that I think could be interesting for the Cardinals. We'll do it all coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm back to being excited about baseball season. With Wait, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Nolan Gorman is coming, boys. Well, he maybe is on because, his way to the big leagues. Well, probably next year because there's no baseball this year. He's actually one of the rare players that'll be potentially be in the big leagues this year that believe. is not on the 40-man that would be eligible to participate in spring training right now. I can't believe now. I'm saying this. I'm glad he's not on the 40-man. Well, there's it, no spring, down there working. There's no spring training. It, it's great for Final Nolan leaders. Gorman to be able to be uh, around the club if they decided to do that. Um, and earlier today, I was reading over on ESPN.com, Alex, they put out their new updated top 100 prospects list. And for what it's worth, the Cardinals had two players in the top 20 on their list. Jordan Walker came in at number 17. Nolan Gorman was at number 18. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because they had a player comparison for Nolan Gorman. Oh, I, here, hit me with it. I loved this one. Max Muncie was their Ooh. comp for Nolan Gorman. Max I, Muncie, of course, of the L.A. Dodgers. Now, Muncie was a late bloomer. He didn't even get to the big leagues until he was 24 years old. He didn't become a regular until he was 27 with the Dodgers. Now, since he came over to the Dodgers and became a regular for them, he's a guy that's hit about 250, and his OPS in that stretch, four years now, is 890. He hits an average of 15 to 20 doubles, and 30 home runs per year for the Dodgers. Guys, if I asked you right now, would you sign up? If I told you there's a button that you can hit for in the next four years, that's going to be the average for Nolan Gorman. Would you sign up for that from him? Hit the button. Yep, give it to me right now because he's one I'm just, I'm, I'm skeptical about. And I shouldn't be because everyone's ranking him so high. I'm just concerned that the offense is not going to be there like people are stating it's going to be there for Nolan Gorman. So, yeah, I would hit that button immediately because Max Muncy has been crucial to this Dodgers dominance over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would hit that button, too. I mean, that's incredible power for someone. Nolan Gorman, 30 home runs, 15, 20 doubles. And if he can project to be that, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's an impact bat for the Cardinals for at minimum the six years that you could have a player under service time. So, yeah, I'd absolutely hit that button. And I, I truly believe he's going to be something like that. I don't know if it, I don't know how long it'll take for him to get to the 30 home run potential, but he definitely has that ability in him. So, yeah, absolutely. I love that comp. I really do. I, I think it's a great comp. And this is by Kylie McDaniel, who I'm a big fan of. We'll, let's try to get him on the show here pretty soon, Tanner, because I, I, I love the idea Noted. of – <laughs> Nolan Gorman becoming uh, the potential next Max Muncie. The now, listeners are going to hold you to that. There was one other comparison that I came up with that I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts oh, on. Are you going to give us the comp for Jordan Walker? Nope. I'm going to give was you it the comp. Uh, the comp for Jordan Walker, for what it's worth, is uh, Austin Riley. Austin Riley, the uh, third baseman for the Atlanta Braves. He said he's on a spectrum of Austin Riley to Pete Alonso. Some, some, something between oh, those two guys. Austin you said Riley. Pete Alonso, but my brain went Pete Cosmo. That was really nervous. There. Austin Riley last year was a legit. Legitimate MVP candidate hit three uh, three hundred awesome. for the Braves uh, with thirty three home runs and one hundred and seven RBI. So if he becomes that, I am signing up for it. The guy that I wanted to hear from you guys about though is Juan Yepes. 
He's the one that is most likely to spend the entire year with the Cardinals this year. I think there's a good chance he's your everyday DH for the Cardinals. Would you sign up for him to become early career Matt Adams? The first four years of Matt Adams when he became a full-time player for the Cardinals. He was a 270 hitter, low on base percentage, right around 315, and he slugged th- uh, 460. The average year for him, and this is in 100 games, so keep that in mind, was about 20 doubles, 15 homers, 50 RBI. Would you sign up for that right now for Juan Yepes? Would you be willing to sign up for that today? 270 hitter, not a great on-base percentage, but walks a little bit and hits you on, on a 162 average, 20 home runs, 75 RBIs. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool. I, I, I don't know what my hope is for Juan Yepes because I don't think he's going to be a J.D. Martinez, Nelson Cruz DH for you. T-Bone over here has made me feel like you can't sign good bats because Juan Yepes is the next big thing. Yeah, don't block to Yepes. So, for what it's worth, I would sign up for this. I would too. If you're guaranteeing me production like, like this, where I, I can get 15 to 20 home runs per year, I'm talking about a guy that can hit 270 for you, I, that's a perfect six-hole hitter. But if he's he, your he'd be DH, excellent as your six-hole hitter. If he's your DH, don't you want more power than that? I don't know how many DHs last year were better than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I like the only DHs that I can think of off the top of my mind would be JD Martinez, Nelson Cruz. And that's probably it, unless there's somebody. Oh, Otani, but he's such a yeah, freaking Otani teacher. I don't yeah. know if I count him. Otani doesn't count. But I would definitely sign up for that. And the reason I know you said, you know, you kind of expect more from that from your DH. I mean, we're talking about a guy that really was never viewed as this elite bat that's coming up through the system. Remember, he was a part of the Matt Adams trade. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, well, I'm not mistaken, was he either a player? Was he named in the trade, or was he a he player named to be named the, later? I thought yeah. he was named in the trade. I think so. Okay, but he, it was such a small deal. You looked at the deal, and it's like, okay, we're just getting a quote-unquote asset for it. I don't know if they'll ever pan out to be anything. Dude, don't call them names. I, I didn't. Asset. Every, oh, asset. Everybody okay. wanted Trey Mancini for the Cardinals last year, yeah. right? That, that was the guy we heard a ton about for, for Cardinals fans. Trey Mancini last year was a two fifty five hitter with a seven sixty OPS. Matt Adams in this stretch that I'm talking about was a two seventy hitter with a seven ninety OPS. Flat out better player in that stretch than Trey Mancini was last year when every Cardinals fans wanted Trey Mancini on the Cardinals to improve their offense. Oh, okay, then, uh, then I, I'm in I on would it. sign up for this from Juan Yepes because I think the downside for Yepes is he might not be an everyday guy for you. Like the downside is he's probably just a bench bat who can come off the bench and give you what Jose Rondon was a year ago. The upside, if it ends up being this, I'd sign up for this today. I, I, think, I, I think I'm here for it. I would too. And you know, those mentions you meant, those numbers you mentioned, th- that's kind of what I would think would be good for that number five spot. I think we've kind of briefly talked on this. If the Cardinals do kind of go with Dylan Carlson leading off, I don't really know who that true number five hole hitter is for the Cardinals, at least this year, because you would go Carlson, Goldie, Arnado, O'Neill, and then there's that like hole of it's like, okay, who's that fifth guy? And that's kind of what we've talked about. Who's that other impact bat? If your pets could be like a 15, 20 home run guy and hit 260 and driving those kind of numbers, that's the perfect number five hole hitter for this this lineup. So absolutely, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat if that's the numbers he can put up. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We finish this thing up with a BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. Alex has the one thing that might be getting overlooked right now. That could be a reason why they end up winning the cup. We'll tell you what that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been so great to be back with you guys today. A big thanks to Alex and Tanner for being able to hold things down while I was out. Alex, finish things up today with the BK and Ferrario Rewind. I want to talk a little bit about the Blues real quick because, man, their depth is so unbelievably impressive. And after the game earlier this week, you had the coaches from the opposition coming out saying, hey, that's the deepest offense that we've seen so far this year. He said, watch them play. You don't get too much. It's a really good hockey team, a team built for the playoffs. They play the right way. They play hard. Obviously, they're well coached and they're all healthy right now. So if you look at it, it's the deepest team I think that we have played. That was from the Senators head coach after that game that's impressive no doubt and we've talked ad nauseum about it all season long but Alex there's something else that you've been looking at saying hey you know don't don't overlook this as a reason why the Blues are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender this year yeah 100% it's the penalty kill and I know everyone's going to go to the power play and talk about how great that has been third best our second best in the National Hockey League but we asked Curbs this yesterday and he agreed Penalty kill is what's going to be an element that it might be the secret sauce for this team to win a Stanley Cup this year because I look at their opponents, and the Blues, of course, have a great power play, but Colorado thrives on scoring power play goals. That's how they beat the Dallas Stars the other night. That's how the Dallas Stars beat Colorado the other night by not giving them power plays, and when they did, they killed them off. You look at the teams in the West, Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota. These are all teams that are towards the top 10 in power play percentage. I think the penalty kill for how good they have been, and look, that five-on-three that they killed off Tuesday against the Senators was the spark that they needed. I think a penalty kill by this team with how many weapons that they have that can play the penalty kill and play it to a T is going to be a secret sauce for this team and possibly eliminating teams in the playoffs like Minnesota, Colorado, and maybe Vegas. It's always interesting to me. We talk about how the Blues have an issue with their defense, and yet on the penalty kill right now, they're top five in the NHL. And their two top ice getters on the penalty kill are Marco Scandella and Robert Bortuzzo. Isn't that wild? It's just crazy. Like Their third pairing that we're all looking to upgrade from is the one that is out there most often on the penalty kill, and they're top five in the league right now on on the PK. I think that's a good idea. It's crazy to see. Coming up from two to six, we've got the fast lane, or excuse me, coming up from two to five we've yeah, got the fast doing, lane man? blues versus canadians pregame coverage with alex ferrario beginning at five o'clock we'll have puck drop for you right here on your home for the blues 101 espn at six stay safe out there we'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.